What up, though? This is the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, the podcast where one pride goes worldwide. My name is Anthony Fitzpatrick. I'm joined this evening by Ryan McCluskey. It is the college football podcast, and for the first time on one of these shows in a very long time, we can say we've seen some actual college football, and some of us have actually been and seen it in person. Ryan. How was the trip over to the Emerald Isle this weekend? How are you doing? In fact, first of all, how are you doing? Everything all right? I'm good, yeah. Bradford are winning. I've been to the college football. Everything's going well. Like I said, everything's going too well. Like I say, <laughs> it's, I'm suspicious. But yeah, let's say, let's say football is here. Football is nearly here. And yeah, it was a great weekend. A lot of Guinness. Made me feel really heavy and bloated. Had some good food. Met some really nice people. The Irish are just nice. They just make you feel welcome. And saw some good football and got free beer because the Union <laughs> Stadium's network and Wi-Fi is crap. That's about to say, there was a guy in our chat last week saying what was the over-under on you doing beers in the stadium and you went, yeah, like one because of the pricing in there and then all of a sudden the whole internet goes down and you don't have to pay for your beers and you're getting them for free. I bet he's kicking himself now. I bet he wish he'd made an offer on that over attempt because he'd have won. Yep. I'd say I saved a fortune. I saved about seven euros a pint. Got two. I got two free beers. Lorraine got a double Captain Morgan's and rum because every person that queued could have two drinks. There were people that queued for nearly the entire second half because their rates were ringing them to come in. So they went and left the football. I literally left with four minutes left in the first half. And when I got back out, it was kicking off the second half. That's how long and busy it was when people found out. It was perfect timing. Jesus. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. Anyhow, we'll, we'll, we'll get on to your island trip in just a moment. I've just got to do the usual housekeeping and bits first. Like I say, this is the College Football Podcast. This week we are going to be taking a look at the Week Zero results. We're going to hear, a li- we're going to hear from Ryan about his experience with the Nebraska-Northwestern game. And then we're going to be taking a look at the Week 1 fixtures. Obviously, it's the first big weekend coming up where... Everybody is playing this weekend, and we're going to look forward to that. And we're going to launch our Pick Watch League. If you don't know already, we've said it in Discord. Me and Ryan, we decided we were going to have a little battle with one another this year. We were going to predict some of the results going in college, see who uh, could come out on top of that. And it's sort of gotten a little out of hand. Some people in Discord want to come and join them as well. So we're going to throw it out there. If you want to come and join us, let us know. We'll throw you a link out. Uh, We're going to be picking 10 fixtures every week they're not going to be easy ones either like alabama against you know north carolina a&t anything like that we're going to be picking some tough fixtures and if you think you can beat us in our knowledge of college football then 
by all means come in the more the merrier it is going to be a lot of fun just got to do the housekeeping before we get underway there's not much obviously here at rural lines uk we have our discord as i've just mentioned if you want to come get involved with that always lots of good chat around especially at the minute with the uh, 53 man rosters and whatnot been decided and the practice squad and everything there is a lot going on so just give us a shout we'll send you a link to that um we're also part of lions nation unite the app made by herman more the famous Detroit Lions wide receiver that's a platform for all those youtubers and whatnot content made by the fans for the fans to give us our voice out there it's ever such a good program if you've not already downloaded it on your phone or not checked it out on YouTube I would urge you to do so you'll find you'll find a lot of great content creators on that channel there obviously with our main podcast as well if you've not seen this one's uh, from the Monday just gone we did our season predictions for the Detroit Lions that was good fun Ryan wasn't there but let me just say Ryan's taken over the other Ryan in terms of the uh, let's say that maybe the sensible one this year in terms of some of his uh, some of his predictions for this season they were they were I would say harsh or realistic but anyhow that was all good fun so if you haven't checked that out yet please do so and I think that is just about everything but um yeah, Ryan, I think you had the lowest record out of a lot of us in terms for wins this year. So, I mean, guess you're presuming it's going to be a little bit tougher than the rest of us chugging the Kool-Aid. Yeah. See, I think we'll do better. I think we'll win more games, but I don't want to get carried away and have egg on my face. So, I even felt optimistic 8-8-1. I'm hovering around. From what I've seen today and yesterday, I'm, I'm at like six and a half, seven. If I'm honest, like I said, I just thought some of the teams on our schedule are really bad. And I even put the tie in there with Seattle because I just thought one of these games on the schedule is just going to be really ugly and both teams are going to be really crap. And the Lions like to draw a game. So uh, it, it can never rule out a tie with Detroit. But yeah, like I said, we could win six games, we could win ten games. I'm erring on the side of caution, but we'll be better than last year. That's yeah. all that matters. It is, it is indeed, and of course, when you're not there to be able to defend yourself, give your opinions, you know, all this stuff can be taken out of context, but it was a good laugh, there were a few of us on there. Just a shout out to everyone who's joining us, and oh my, there's quite a few for a college show tonight, best to try and be good. Um, Gino, One Pride 40 Micro Mike, all in the YouTube chat there, welcome to you all. One Pride says Justin Jackson is back, yes he is, and I'm kind of glad, because I got myself in hot water for defending Jamar Jefferson yesterday, I got a lot of backlash over that, so... Glad he's back, so hopefully people are a little bit happier with me today. Micro Mike, shout out to you. Gino, shout out to you. And I know there's a lot of chatter going on in Twitch. Ashley is in there, our favourite Ashley Soden. Sort of gloating about the fact that Florida having to pay their opposition to come and play them this year. We'll discuss that maybe a little bit more in a minute, but he's ever so happy about that. Derek Bo Barrick is in there as well. Thank you to you for joining as always. He's given us a hundred bits as well, so appreciate that. And I'm sure I've seen him in here. Yes, David Reinfeldt 69 is in as well. He goes, Hi, hey to you all. I'm watching you, Ash. I'm watching all of you. If you've got any questions or anything as the uh, episode goes on, just let us know. We'll happily answer them for you. Now, yeah, as I was saying, Ryan, just, um, oh, I was saying to everyone out here, Ryan has been over for the uh, college football experience in Ireland this week. So, right, just maybe before we start our 
pre uh, review of the week zero games. How was the college football experience over in Ireland for you? You know, just give us a little bit about the day, how it went. We'll chat a bit about the game later, but just sort of the overall experience of it. How how was it for you? It was one of the most pleasant atmospheres I've ever been in. The fans were lovely. Like I say, in Dublin Town Centre, there were so many Northwestern fans. I, I did not expect to see so many people in purple. They were in good spirits. They were drinking. Nebraska fans all over around their Temple Bar area. Their bars were full. They were representing their colours. Not a hint of animosity. Not like a football game in the UK. Everyone was happy getting along going to and from the stadium. Everyone was in great crowds, in good spirit. They really did their teams proud. Like I said, to travel all this way, it must have been come at a great expense. And uh, yeah, they came in really good numbers and the atmosphere at times was deafening. The sound came from a lot more than one fans of other. I will say that. Northwestern fans, when things aren't going good, you've still got to keep making the noise. Nebraska fans were deafening for most of the game. I think they were shouting, go Big Red. I think that's what they call Nebraska players. I think they call them Big Red. I couldn't actually tell, but no, it was it was really good, yeah. And stadium, one of the best I've ever been there. It's beautiful, it's well laid out, and the staff organised the security, really helpful, kept things moving. So yeah, it was up there as one of the best sporting events I've ever been to. We've already booked a hotel for next year for Notre Dame v Navy. Excellent. You know, I'm going to hopefully try and get across for that one myself. It sounds like you had a hell of a day with them. And like you say, when the Wi-Fi goes down and you get free beer, that's kind of just like nearly the perfect day, really, isn't it? Especially when you've not got team loyalty on the line. You can just sit there and enjoy the football and not have to worry about what the result is. No, yeah. There were so many people in just NFL jerseys, people that didn't have any allegiances that were joining. They were just there as a neutral and it was great, yeah. Like I say, I enjoyed every player. There was some really good football as well. I was expecting a damp squib, one-sided, but what I got for was a back-and-forth duel, and in the end, it came down to the wire. Oh, absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll chat about the game shortly. We'll go through the week, the results. But, um, yeah, Nebraska, um, was it David Reinfurt's put in the Twitch chat, but Nebraska is the most fun team to watch. They always create the most exciting final two-minute finishes. I'm sure they are, but I'm sure they're not as exciting for their fans, given their record in one-score games. But, oh, right, for the neutral, it's it's terrific. There were some great highlights from this one. I know I missed it because I was at work, so I watched the full game afterwards, and, oh, yeah. Absolutely amazing, but no, good good to hear the day was good. And hopefully, more more people will be able to take advantage of it next year and go back. And Notre Dame Navy promises to be a good one. That's an old rivalry game. That is so. Um, yeah, good on college football Ireland. It seems to have all gone well over there. Hopefully, everyone enjoyed that day. Now um, we'll move it on, um, and we will go to week zero. So as you obviously, if you were. Tuned into us last week, you'd realise that this first week zero that happens, there were 11 fixtures this week. It's all to do with the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. We did a big explanation about why week zero exists last week, if you want to go back and check that out. But, yeah, it's this first week where there's a small smattering of fixtures around. There were 11 all told. Me and Ryan decided we were going to have a trial run of our little pick watch we're going to do with those. So we tried to pick the winners of these 11 games. But, um... So unfortunately for us, a lot of these were 
what we believed to be one-sided games and we ended up picking 10 of the same results and we divided on just one but after all these 11 fixtures have been played what I can say is that you know our results can be defined in three categories the good the bad and the ugly <laughs> there were some that we got spot on and there were some that we got completely and utterly wrong so we're going to go through them in that order so you know trying to give props to us first we're going to go through the good results first um oh hank's joined us how do you hank star of the show hank just decides when he comes in as and when he wants to but uh bless him is he doing all right right yeah he, he won't so happy about being left like say he sulked a bit over the weekend but no he's okay. fine now oh bless him but yeah um so let's start going through these results so like i say it was the good, the bad, and the ugly when it came to it this weekend. So we're going to start with the good. And the first the first one we're going to talk about is Austin Pay versus Western Kentucky. So this one ended Austin Pay 27, Western Kentucky 38. And we're both very smug to say that we predicted that Western Kentucky were nowhere near the 30-point favourites that they were made out to be. I think it was 28.5 points the line was altogether, so four scores. Me and Ryan are both like, no chance. That offence, they've lost a lot of it from last year. That's what kept them going. The defence is not as good. Austin Pay are a decent FCS school, and they weren't going to be able to just run away with this with a canter. And that's what happened. They really struggled in this game. Going into the fourth quarter... It was 21-20 to Western Kentucky. There was only a one point. Dip. There was only one point separating them going into the last three. And to be honest, Austin Pay really shot themselves in the foot in this game. So the sort of the famous highlight that's come out of this weekend: the quarterback threw one of the most needless interceptions I've seen of all time. He literally he threw a screen pass out to the side of the pitch. His his wide receiver had gone off on like a slant run, and there was just this random DB stood there on his own, no one to mark. He threw it straight at him, and he just ran it straight back in for a pick six. It was one of the worst throws you've ever seen in your life and that sort of turned things a bit around there then at 28 20 the quarterback coughed up a fumble they were driving they were looking pretty good they were going to score at this point it's still a one score game two scores later western kentucky scored another touchdown and then really that was game over after that well you know they scored a touchdown again they were trying to come back the last three minutes they coughed up the ball twice on a return play so they got a they got a kick return the returner fumbled it, it went to one of the other guys, he picked it up, he fumbled it, Western Kentucky got it, ran the clock down, and that was all she wrote. So some really bad play from Austin Pay could have mean they actually upset Western Kentucky in the end. Western Kentucky looked poor, especially in the trenches and against an FCS team. That was that was weird. The Austin Pay defensive line was really good. The offensive line was pretty decent. This is the second most points that Austin Pay have ever scored against an FBS team. This just kind of shows that the day that they had there. Just some of the stats from the day. Western Kentucky, the quarterback Austin Reed, he went 19 of 33 for 276 yards, four touchdowns and an interception. Their rush game, 109 yards on 31 carries at three and a half yards per carry. They still cannot run the football 
even against an FCS side. Wide receiver Daywood Davis had 124 yards and a touchdown on six catches, and Malachi Corley had five for 61 with three touchdowns. Big day there for him. The linebacker Jacques Evans, he had two and a half sacks and 13 total tackles on the day. And in fairness, the Western, Western Kentucky D-line in general had a really good day. They were harassing the Austin Pay quarterback all day. On Austin Pay's side, the quarterback Mike DiLiello, he's a Middle Tennessee transfer this year. He went 14 of 20, 123 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, a rush touchdown uh, and a fumble. So some game-changing moments from him. They were the same on the rush game, they didn't really have it. 134 yards on 31 carries, 4.3 yards per carry. It was better than Western Kentucky, their FBS counterparts. Wide receiver Dre McRae, he showed out. 90 yards, two touchdowns on seven throws. And on the defense, linebacker Antoine Williams led the way with 14 tackles. We, we caught this, Ryan. Western Kentucky are going to struggle without Bailey Zappi this year. That defense doesn't look much better, and they really struggled to put these guys away. At the end of the day, Austin Pay were their own worst enemies. Yeah, if you don't get those uh, turnovers at the start of that fourth quarter, I don't know how that game ends. Like I say, there is the chance for an upset. If I'm West, if I'm a Hilltoppers fan, I, I'm worried about this season. That was very indicative of how their year may go. They may need teams to shoot themselves in the foot or give them opportunities because they they were struggling for three quarters to put aside a way that they would expect to beat an Austin Pay. Take a loss, but come away with a lot of pride. Like I say, they put in a really good showing for the best part of three and a half quarters. That should fill them with a lot of confidence going forward that they can tackle most of their schedule. So I think... One side showed their, I don't know, a bit, resa- bit of resilience, a bit of class. You saw which one was the FBS side when it mattered the most in the fourth quarter. The one that was close to sealing out games and knowing how to get over the line. So there's a little bit of naivety in that sense. But yeah, the game could have been very different if things had gone more Austin Pays away or they'd been a little bit better at protecting the ball. Western Kentucky may have struggled to put the final nail in the coffin at all. Yeah, I mean, it, it just looked disjointed, and it just didn't look right. And they say they, they're still using the air raid, you know, they can't run the ball. When they come up against better FBS defences who can defend against the pass a little bit better, they're going to have a lot of issues. And that defence is not going to hold up. It's conceded nearly 30 points to an FCS side. So they are in a spot of bother this year. But... We landed that prediction bang on, even to the point where we said it would be like one or two scores. So I was really happy with that one. Another one of the ones we got good, Wyoming versus Illinois. Wyoming 6, Illinois 38. We both predicted that Illinois would blow Wyoming out, given the sheer scale of the loss that the Cowboys have suffered this season. But, I mean, man, I thought Wyoming were going to be bad. They were even worse than I thought what they were going to be. The offense was absolutely atrocious. And Illinois didn't even play that well. And yet they've still won by 32 points at this stage. Let me just go through Wyoming's offensive stats for you. So the quarterback, Andrew Peasley, he's the guy they brought over from Utah State. He was the backup there. He went 5 of 20. That is a 25% completion rating for 30 yards and one interception. He ran 
eight times for 76 yards, however, so the quarterback ran for two and a half times more yards than he threw for. That is never a good sign. Uh, the running back Titus Swen, he went 17 carries for 98 yards at 5.8 yards per carry, so meh, respectable enough. But in all, the Wyoming offense, it averaged less than five plays per drive, it averaged less than 22 yards per drive, had just eight first downs all game, had three fumbles, two of which were lost, um, and the defense really didn't do a great deal either. It had two tackles for loss, both on run plays, did absolutely nothing against the pass. On Illinois' side, like I say, it was easy, and they still didn't look that good. The quarterback, Tommy DeVito, he went 27 of 37 for 194 yards and two touchdowns. The running back, Chase Brown, had himself a day, 19 carries, 151 yards, two touchdowns at 7.9 yards per carry. The wide receiver, Pat Bryant, led the receiving yards, 3 for 44, with a touchdown there. I mean, Jesus, we knew Wyoming were going to be bad, but less than five plays per drive, less than 22 yards per drive, the quarterback throwing a completion rating of 25%. I mean, Christ, this could be a very, very long year for them. Oh, it's going to be a bad year. That offense is going to be anemic this season. I think we found out why Pisa was a backup in Utah State because he is not good enough. He is not good enough to start on any FBS side. Like I said, five completions out of 20. Like, you'd consider benching him already. Like, week two, I think I'd just run someone else out. I'd start my other quarterback if they've got one. I, I don't think he's even warranted to start the next game. It was that bad. And in a run game that did what it could, but literally just helped chew up some clock. They never really got anything going, the running back. The rushing yards were all in vain. They were never in the game. Illinois, like I said, aren't very good. Didn't even get out of second gear. Tommy DeVito is a very average quarterback. But they put no pressure on him. There was never any danger. There was never any threat from that defense. Just picked him off. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. Like I said, fun at the start, but then it becomes a bit of a tedious chore. I bet Illinois couldn't have waited for that game to be over because it was crap. Yeah, this was the first one I chose to watch during the week. I'm just like, good lord, I've, I've chosen a great one here at this point. It was, and like you say, the Illinois special teams was terrible. They were missing field goals. They were just not looking good on drive sometimes. And it's just like, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. We knew Wyoming would be bad, but... But again, we called it. We said Wyoming would be bad. We said Illinois would win at a canter. So that was another good prediction there from us. Um, okay, the one Ashley will have been waiting for. I seem to remember that we picked Florida State, both of us, last week. And we said that they should do pretty good in this one. And, you know, if, they, if, if, if the margin of victory weren't so big, then there will be problems. But they had no problems the end with this. We're talking, obviously, the Duquesne Dukes versus the Florida State Seminoles. This ended Duquesne 7, Florida State 47 after a vast rain delay. There was a massive thunderstorm in the area. The pitch was sopping wet, but it um, doesn't matter. There's not a great deal to say about this game. I watched it, apart from the fact that, you know, unlike Western Kentucky against Austin Pay, this was a game where an FBS side looked every bit the dominant team whilst they were at home 
facing an FCS underdog. Florida State ran on them for days. They controlled the clock. They put this one to bed very early, but they continued to score regularly. They sort of put the foot down on the throat and continued to press and just did not let go. Duquesne never got out of first gear for this one. In terms of Florida State, the stats quarterback Jordan Travis, he went 11 of 15 for 207 yards. No touchdowns, no interceptions, and he had one score on the ground. And as Ashley so jubilantly put, at the minute he is the highest rated quarterback in college football. In the running game, I mean, well, listen to this. Treshawn Ward, 14 for 107, 127 yards, two touchdowns at 9.1 yards per carry. Trey Benson, 11 for 105 yards and one touchdown at 9.5 yards per carry. Lawrence Toafili, 13 for 101 yards and one touchdown at 7.8 yards per carry. Rodney Hill went 9 for 55 and a touchdown at 6.1 yards per carry. Um, the edge, Jared Verse, I talked about him last week. He's the FCS transfer from Albany. He had a really good first game there, sort of trying to fill the boots for Jermaine Johnson. He recorded one sack, one and a half tackles for loss, and four tackles. I know the safety ash is always on about Jamie Robinson. He looked every bit the real deal there at the safety position. In terms of Duquesne, I had to pick someone out. So the wide receiver, Abdul Janay, he had three receptions for 44 yards and one touchdown. Duquesne's only score, but this was kind of every bit the um, walloping we thought it was going to be. Yeah. I'm not going to praise Florida State. Like I said, they, they did what they had to do. They should have got a shot out. If... if if I was Mike Norvell Florida State, I'd be pissed conceding to do Duquesne. Like I said, that would be annoying. The defensive core on there, I imagine, was very unhappy conceding points. Yeah, they dropped a wall up in on someone they should do. Like I said, it, it don't mean anything in regards to the season. Like I said, John Travis, great rating, but it was men against boys. It was like, it's like the FA Cup where you play against plumbers and milkmen and part-timers. Like I say, you expect to put a shellac on them. So, yeah. Noting a boy smoke professor if you have to use arse. They avoided the upset, which is what they had to do. And the running backs all got a nice share of the workload, which is nice. It's nice to see a running back high committee where everyone gets to eat. So, that's good for them. So, yeah. Job done. Move on to week two. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we'll be talking about Florida State again soon. So, don't worry, Ash. The chat about them is not over just yet. Um, another one of the ones we called, it was technically an upset, a one and a half point upset, but still, it's an upset nonetheless. The North Texas Mean Green traveling to the UTEP Miners, in which is pretty much a local derby as opposed to a proper road game. UTEP were one and a half point favorites. Me and Ryan both said that that Mean Green defense was gonna be the difference maker here. And boy, were they. North Texas ran out 31-13 to 13 winners over the University of Texas El Paso Miners. Um, this, for me, this is a prime example of how fancy individual stats on your defense mean very little compared to your team effort. Um, for UTEP, the quarterback Gavin Hardison, 21 of 48 for 293 yards and one touchdown. So he was throwing 
well below 50% completion rate in here. In the run game, they had 107 yards on 30 carries at just 3.5 yards per carry average. So that run game got annulled. Good news in the wide receiving game for them, though a few guys fed their boots. Tyron Smith had 127 yards and one touchdown on seven receptions. And Reynaldo Flores had 122 yards on eight receptions. The offense was very lopsided. There was 63% passing to 37% running here. So they got behind a little bit late on. They had to start slinging it around there. Defense actually did pretty well. Had a 12% havoc rate. They had eight tackles for loss against the North Texas running game. So actually were able to nullify that pretty well there. On North Texas' side, the quarterback Austin Aun, he was 16 of 29 for 236 yards and three touchdowns. The running game, they were 165 yards on 40 carries at 4.1 yards per carry. So only 0.6 yards per carry better off than what UTEP were. The defense, so this is where the difference makers was. The defense had just two tackles for loss and one sack, so nothing major on the stat screen, but critically, the stop rate. So what? this is one of my favorite little stats I've come across when I've started doing stats more. So the stop rate for a team, it is the percentage of opposition drives that end up with a punt, turnover, or turnover on down. So basically, a drive that doesn't result in points. So the stop rate for the North Texas Mean Green defense was 70%. UTEP had 10 offensive drives in this game. They only scored on three of them. So North Texas may not have made the big splash plays like UTEP did when it came to the run game, getting the big tackles for loss. But what they did do was they stopped drives. They got off the field. They got their offense back on there as well. They kept the QB, who is a very good quarterback, to well under 50% completion rate with the throws. And they kept the running game down to 3.5 yards per carry. So by... Sort of by virtue of cancelling it all out, they just picked on this UTEP offense bit by bit until it came no more and North Texas were able to pull away when their offense, again, wasn't really even that good. Um, UTEP, by comparison, they had a stop rate of 26%. So three quarters of all North Texas's drives ended up in points. Didn't all have to be touchdowns. They were field goals. It kept the scoreboard ticking. It kept the pressure ramping up and UTEP couldn't deal with it. Ryan? We caught this. That North that North Texas defense is mean. And they were able to suppress a very good quarterback here. He's still got a lot of yards, but they couldn't do a lot with them. No, and there's nothing more demoralizing for a team when you go three and out quickly. We know that as Lions fans, not being able to sustain drives. <laughs> Your defense gets knackered. Like I said, that defense was on the field a long time. Like I said, and they were getting matched upon up and down the field. And then in relief, when uh, the UTEP offense came on, like I say, they were going out quickly, drives were ending quickly. Like I said, they fell behind in the score, so they had to start rushing, trying to take shots. Accuracy went out the window, and he just fell behind. Like I say, he just a, a well-managed game by North Texas. Like I said, the drives got stuffed. It gave... The offense, the ball for long periods of time to wear down a UTEP defense, which was unable to do the same on the other side of the ball. And it was very clinical, polished performance. I see it shows that those uh, score lines mean very little when your offense is stifled so much and that you're 
your offensive line, which was a big key. Like I said, the offensive line could not handle the North Texas defense. Like I said, they were not necessarily making huge plays in the backfield, but they were getting in their faces. They were getting in passing lanes. They were stopping runners short. They were not getting to the second level and sustaining blocks. It was just very well-drilled, disciplined defense. And in the end, they just gave the ball back to the offense with enough time to work and come away and chip away and eventually at points. wasn't the finest performance of the offense, but it did what it needed to do. And they were able to rely on a defense that just stifled and smothered a team until it came into submission. Oh yeah, and that's exactly what we said North Texas needed to do this year when we did the whole CUSA preview. Oh, I got it. Yeah, CUSA. When we did the preview, it's like the offense ain't that good. The quarterback's twenty nine years old, and they've had problems for years there since. Um, is it Mason Fine left them? But you know that defense is capable of winning them games. And when you've got a seventy percent stop rate, that's that's really good news for them. They were able to get away from it. And that's a big win. UTEP are not an easy team to beat, and Gavin Hardison is really good. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the CUSA, so fair play to North Texas for that one. A um, couple more that we did pretty well on here, but um, you know we did well on this one, but the game itself was not good. Nevada, now Nevada are in some bother this year. Nevada travelled to New Mexico State to play the Aggies. This one ended Nevada 23, New Mexico State 12. We said this might not be pretty, and oh boy, pretty it was not. Nevada's offense, I think, racked up nine yards on its first three drives, whilst on the other side, New Mexico State's quarterback, Diego Pavia, was throwing picks quicker than he could get his hands on the ball, and he eventually ended up getting benched by a freshman. And the first points scored all game were by New Mexico State because of a safety. Um, Nevada scored 17 points in the second quarter to sort of pull away, but they were never able to truly shake off New Mexico State. You know, this is a team that has been gutted in wake of the departure of Jay Norvell and cost of the draft. And this one, this one really showed because New Mexico State are not a good side and Nevada really had trouble putting these guys away on Nevada's side. I mean, this was a bad day for quarterbacks. The quarterback Shane Illingworth started. He went seven for 12 for 51 yards and he botched a snap for the safety. And the quarterback in relief of him, Nate Cox, went 7 of 11 for 27 yards. So that was 78 yards passing for the entire game. It was the running back game that sort of held them up here. So the running back, Toa Tower, we mentioned him. He's a great running back. He went 17 carries for 109 yards. That's his 11th 100-yard game in college. He really is balling out. And the running back, Devontae Lee, went 13 for 61 with two touchdowns as they basically were the offense. Nevada ran the ball 66% of the time in this game. They apparently didn't trust their quarterbacks to throw it. But it was the Nevada defense really that spared them here. They had four interceptions, a forced fumble, three tackles for loss. They punished what was a dreadful New Mexico State offense. The cornerback Isaiah Essisima got himself a pair of picks on the day. Essisima, yeah, that's it. Yeah, he got himself a pair of picks, had a good day for them. I've watched this game. They were two pretty decent picks as well. On New Mexico State side, 
their starting quarterback Diego Pavia, nine for twenty, oh sorry, nine completed passes out of twenty attempts, less than fifty percent, seventy-five yards and three interceptions. He was five for thirty-six on the ground. The only quarterback who had a good game in this one was the New Mexico State freshman who replaced him when he got benched. His name's Gavin Frakes. He went 9 of 13 for 143 yards, one touchdown and one interception. And he had two rushes for 15 yards. Their running game, 85 yards on 25 carries at 3.4 yards per carry. It was non-existent. But in fair play to them, the New Mexico State, they did what they could to keep them in this. They swarmed Dillingworth when he botched that snap. They forced him to take the safety. They had a 30% stop rate. It may not seem like much, but when your offense turns it over five times constantly in your own half, it is very difficult for you to stop points being scored. So considering it was a pretty decent effort, and they actually had a 15% havoc rate. They recorded 10 tackles for loss, eight against the run, two against the pass. And outside of that second quarter, they only actually gave up six points over three quarters. So for the most part, they kept Nevada contained. I mean, this game was just really, really ugly. Um, I mean, obviously, I guess we can't really expect much different. New Mexico State, obviously, they're rebuilding under their umpteenth head coach. Now, Nevada have lost a lot there. But if you're a Nevada fan... You've got to be really concerned about this result, surely. It was not pretty. You were saved by your running backs in your defense. Yeah. The biggest loser of this game for me was Nevada. We knew that Aggies were going to be bad. But Nevada, what are they going to do when they face a competent offense? Because mm. their defense, like I say, is not very good. Like I say, a freshman came in into a bad scenario... A team that, a bit of a shit show, like I say, and he looked competent. I guarantee Frakes is starting next week. If I'm that head coach, I will just throw the kid in. You've got no to lose, because the Aggies might not win a game this season. So that doesn't look good, but yeah. Jay, like I say, left Nevada in such a bad position. Like I say, neither quarterback looked better than the other. They were relying on a run game ticking over, and they had to capitalise on mistakes just to get over the line in that game. But when they come up against one side that is just average, that won't turn the ball over five times, can they score points? Is there any real offense coming out of this Nevada team? I don't think there will be. I think they're going to get found out very quickly. I said this was an ugly game, and this was two sides that one had nothing to lose and was just trying to hang on. The other had everything to lose and just showed that they could only be a bad team that helps them. So. Yeah, no winners this week, really. I, if you're a Wolfpack fan, you you have to be worried because you're not going to be anywhere near competing for a, a title or a championship game this season, I fear. No, you feel like you say that offense is going to tr- struggle. I think, sort of in hindsight, it's going to make Toa Tower an absolute star. I think he's going to have a season where he's going to be most of this offense and he's going to be getting a lot of love coming round into the next draft cycle because I'm pretty sure he's eligible this year. I think he's been in college a few years now, but 11 100-yard games for him there is is no mean feat one bit. So, yeah, if I'm a Nevada fan, I'm worried. And it's a shame because, like I say, I loved watching Nevada last year. 
predominantly for Carson Strong, but still they were entertaining. But even then they struggled, and it looks like it's going to be another season of struggle there. Um, and a message from Marty Greenberg in the YouTube chat. Thanks for joining us. Oh, this is very nice. He goes, you guys are great. The depth of your analysis is astounding. Better than most of our experts here in the States. Keep up the good work. That, that means a lot to us, Marty. We appreciate it. Thank you ever so much. And thank you for listening in. That's ever such a nice thing for you to say. Um, and then we've got one more in the section where we were doing good. Um, we did a, we did all right in a few of these, actually. I'm not going to lie. We did, we did pretty good overall. Um, the battle of the two clown teams from last week. So, Idaho State versus UNLV. Um, these are two really bad teams. Like I say, Idaho State went 1-10 and ten down in the FCS last year. UNLV went 2-10 and ten, um, over in the Mountain West. Um, I think it's Mountain West, isn't it? Um, they were two really bad teams playing one another. But we did predict that the bad FBS team was going to do away with the bad FCS team by a decent margin. It finished Idaho State 21, UNLV 52. Las Vegas dropping a 50-burger on Idaho State. In fairness, UNLV, they put 45 up by the end of the first half, and then they just coasted through the motions in the second half. I ain't going to spend long on this game because there was nothing to it. Two bad sides. The FBS side was a lot better, though. Um, one interesting thing, though, the starting quarterback, UNLV, not Harrison Bailey. We all thought that he might be the guy who got it there, but it was Doug Brumfield who got the start there. In fairness to him, 21 of 25, 356 yards and four touchdowns. He went three of eight. Uh, Harrison Bailey did see a little bit on the field in relief when Brumfield was done, but in his time he went 3 of 8 for 26 yards. Nothing really to write home about. Star of the show for UNLV, a name that some Michiganders might know, former Michigan State wide receiver Ricky White, 8 receptions, 182 yards and 2 touchdowns. He had himself a bit of a day there, but I don't think there's much to say outside of you know, I think this is what we expected. UNLV are probably not going to put up 50 points this season again. But hey-ho, this was the one they were expected to win. They did their job. Yeah, as you mentioned. Took their foot off the gas at halftime. Like I said, I didn't manage to see this game. But I'm going to guess most of the Idaho State points came in the second half. I guess. Uh, I think 14 of them did. I think they got about yeah. 7 or 10 by the half. I was sort of intermittent yeah. in and out while watching Wyoming. Yeah, so, yeah, they were comfortable. Like I say, it's good for a quarterback to come out first game of the season and put a hammer in on someone. It's good for the confidence. It's good for a rhythm. As you mentioned, this may be the cakewalk of their schedule. Things only get harder from here. But to get the first win of your season, get the monkey off your back, have a good performance, and then uh, get some uh, players in their groove is good. I said the real hard work starts now. Idaho State, back to the drawing board. Like I said, they'll have games this year they hope to win. This will certainly not have been one of them. Disappointing first half to get stuffed going into the half. But then Matt probably managed to find some, take a little bit of hope from the second half where they managed to do better in the battle of two halves of the game, so they'll go out of it licking their wounds and look to bounce back against someone probably more of their own level. Mm, I mean, it's not good news for Harrison Bailey not getting to start there either, is it? 
I think given their quarterback woes, you thought at least despite his meteoric fall from grace, he might have got a start there, but he's probably going to be benched for a few games now because this gives the incumbent a few games grace. Yeah. I, it'd be odd to decide to start Harrison the next game and then let him come in relief because you ride the hot hand mm. and when a QB has a hot game like that, you don't really want to stunt him. You don't want to be one of those teams where you're swapping quarterbacks in and out and breaking rhythm because that never really works. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's He probably needed a full good season behind him there, so we'll see what happens with the quarterback situation. But yeah, UNLV-Idaho State, that was the last of our games that we got right. Now, we've done the good. Now we've got to go to the bad. And I never thought that this team would let us down in terms of our predictions last week. They won but nowhere near as convincingly as we were sounding off about. So, of course, I'm talking about the Yukon Huskies and the Utah State Aggies. This was very surprising. So this ended up Yukon 20, Utah State 31. They only won by 11 points. And this was a really surprising one because I watched some of this as well. Yukon scored on two of their first three drives, touchdowns on two of their first two three drives. They were 14-0 up at one stage before Utah State thought, oh, hang on, we actually need to play in this game. They then dropped, Utah did, they dropped 24 points in the second quarter. So 24 of the 31 points against the Yukon side came in one quarter. They did absolutely destroy them. They woke up, but then they kind of went back to sleep again after the half was done. They never really put UConn away. And this one went till deep in the fourth quarter. There were opportunities for UConn to get back into this. And Utah State just, it looked like they were sleepwalking in this game. They they came to the party asleep. They got a rude awakening. They sort of had a burst of energy, put some points down, and then they were sluggish again. This was... This is concerning if you're a Utah State fan. Just to go through the stats, so Utah State, Logan Bonner, we know he's good. 20 of 29, 281 yards and three touchdowns, nothing wrong with him. The running back, Calvin Tyler Jr., he had 33 carries for 161 yards at 4.9 yards per carry. Robert Briggs, he had 10 carries for 85 yards and a touchdown at 8.5 yards per carry. Ryan, you said there might be a couple of random 100-yard receivers in this one for Bonner. Unfortunately, no one reached 100 yards, but Brian Cobbs, Kyle Van Leeuwen, and Justin McGriff, they all got over 50 yards with a touchdown each between them. Had a couple of picks on the day, but not a single sack. Not a single sack on this UConn offensive line to get through to their quarterback. On UConn's side, hey, I will give credit where it's due. The running back, Nathan Carter, it's his third year. 190 rushing yards on 20 carries at 9.5 yards per carry. He actually had one reception for 10 yards as well. So on the day, 200 all-purpose yards from the running back, Nathan Carter. The linebacker, Jackson Mitchell. Now, Ash was taking the mick out of me for highlighting so many linebackers when doing the divisional roundup, doing the divisional previews. Jackson Mitchell was my guy to watch at UConn. 16 tackles and a sack on the day. He had himself a day there. And another interesting quarterback thing. Taquan Roberson, the Penn State transfer in. We all expected him to start. He did not. He, like, passed twice in this game in relief. But, I mean, Utah State, 
shame on you. We said they were going to run away with this and they just look like they could barely be bothered with it in some parts. Yeah. You don't look good for defending a title when you play down to your opponent. Like you say, the offensive numbers on paper all sound really good. Yeah. But that's that's only like two quarters. Like I said, they, they, all that production there is in like the second and the fourth. The first and the third, they totally go missing. Like I said, drives just bottom out. They let a defense swallow them all over. And if you're a UConn fan, I'm actually really frustrated. Mm. That, that game was there for the taking. They started really well. And then, why did they go to sleep? Like I said, why did they then let them get back into the game? For confidence, that would have been an immense win. Like I say, there's a lot of positives to take away, but you've also seen a lot of stuff there that worries you. Like I say, it's no good UConn collapsing or struggling. Like I say, it's no good starting well, but then not being able to see out games or letting teams back in. So Mm. another game where some good, but both teams probably not very happy. I think Utah State will be glad to get that bad performance out of the way. Like I say, Logan Bonner played well. So, yeah, but yeah, Logan Bonner carried on doing what he does best. Had a pretty clean game, I'd say, I'll take away, but he'll be fairly happy, ran the ball well. I think they'll be glad to just get over the line and avoid an upset in this one. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you couldn't face a different level of opposition in week two. They've got a trip to Alabama this week, so you absolutely cannot afford to turn up to sleep on that one, or you could... You could be down a 40-burger in the first half if you turn up asleep against Alabama. So they're really going to need to wake up quick. But I do worry about their chances in the Mountain West this year if they carry on playing like that. To score seven points in a combined three quarters against this UConn team, concerning. But hey, I will give credit to UConn. The running back had himself a hell of a day. He's put his name out there now. And you know what? The whole team, that's a good barometer for them now. Jim Mora can sort of say to them, look... Apart from that one quarter, you had three quarters of a pretty solid game there. There are things to work on, but at least there's a baseline to work with. And hopefully we can go onwards and upwards and win a few this year. So promising signs for UConn, let's say, in the first week. But Utah State get the win and they're going to get seriously tested at Alabama this coming weekend. The other one, which I've classified under the bad here, Florida A&M versus UNC. Now, UNC were 35-point favourites for this one, and myself and Ryan both believe this was an unfair reflection on Florida A&M. And, you know, they were a decent side last year. As I say, a few of our favourite players, uh, especially from the HBCU HBCU circuit last year, came from Florida A&M. We didn't think they believed to be a 35-point underdog. And technically, with due respect, at the start of the fourth quarter, this was an 11-point game. Again, it was another that was very close. But, unfortunately, UNC did put up 21 unanswered in the fourth quarter to lead to a 32-point victory. It ended Florida A&M 24, UNC 56. UNC still didn't cover the spread. It was only 32, not 35. 
Um, that's why I've kind of put it in the bad section for us, because we were technically right, but we can't claim it. Um, UNC put up 600 yards of offense in this game to Florida's 370. That was the big difference maker there. In terms of Florida A&M, hey, kudos to the quarterback. He had a good day. Jeremy Musa, 28 of 38, 279 yards, two touchdowns, just one interception. Not a bad day for him. The run game was 65 yards on 21 carries. It was non-existent. They were playing catch-up for a few bits of it and had to throw a lot. The defense really got carved up this game, but unfortunately for them, they came up against a very potent UNC offense that was flowing in every direction. It's hard to defend when the running game's going and the passing game's quite good as well. For UNC, Drake May making his debut after Sam Howell's departure. 29 of 37 for 294 yards and five touchdowns in the run game. Freshman Omarion Hampton, this was his first ever game at collegiate level. 14 carries, 101 yards, two touchdowns at 7.2 yards per carry. So great first week there for him. Elijah Green went eight for 69. Drake May had four carries for 55 yards and George Petaway went four carries for 51 yards and a touchdown. They really went to town with the run game. And of course, it is absolutely no shock in the world to let you know that Josh Downs was the leading wide receiver. Nine receptions, 78 yards, two touchdowns. His season is already underway with a bang. And the UNC defense, which has been poor these last few years, 45% stop rate, 11% havoc rate. They had six tackles for loss, three sacks. They also had an interception in there as well. Obviously, it is FCS opposition, so the numbers may be inflated a little bit compared to your average FBS opposition. But, like I say, it's been a bad unit these last few years, so this is a good start for them. Um, yeah, good, good first week for UNC, but... I don't think we were that flawed in our thinking with this. I think kind of the FCS team kind of ran out of steam a bit and UNC just piled on some garbage time points there. Yeah, they ran the score up in the end. People might not agree with this, but I'm not impressed by Drake, mate. I think, I'm not rating that highly. I think if that was a competent defense who was playing that did not run out of steam in the fourth quarter, he wouldn't have been able to put that game away so well. Like I said, the freshman kid round wild on them, like say Marion Hampton. They capitalised on a team that was trying to hang on the coattails going into the fourth quarter. As you say, totally ran out of juice and in the end rolled over and had their belly tickled. UNC will be glad to be 1-0. They will glad to be everyone up and running, everyone playing well and racking up some numbers. But they all know that that was one of the easier games on the schedules and they'll be tested a lot further, so I'm sure they won't be getting too carried away with the result. Florida a and you'd be very frustrated. Like I said, end of the third, going into the fourth, only 11 points behind. Doing yourself justice there. But then to just, like I say, just put on the handbrake completely, to just collapse, to not be able to make it to the end of the game, and then suddenly the scoreline is totally flipped, and you, they almost cover the spread. That's very frustrating. That will piss off a lot of their coaches because they'd never expected to win the game, but they at least wanted to make it competitive. And it was for 75% of it, but in the end, they let themselves down. Yeah. So they, 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 they switched off completely. 
yeah, yeah, it's not what you want. Like I say, especially three quarters of the game you're competitive, then you just some silly mistakes, you just lose a bit of momentum, you rack the score up and then you sort of lose sight of a lot of the positives you have in that, so was a shame there for Florida A&M but you know UNC get their season on the way they've got a much sterner test this weekend which we're going to talk about later so we'll see how week one week zero translates for them Dr Detroit is in the building what up to you good sir in the YouTube chat thank you for joining us and thank you to everyone in the uh, in the Twitch chat as well Quirky Zerky has joined us Oh my word, Ashley has just put in the chat that James Houston is back this season. I'm absolutely delighted. I know it's a bit of Lions news when we're talking college, but I love James Houston, so I'm glad he is back and we get to develop him on that practice squad. I will take that any day of the week. So, we've done the good. We've done the bad. Now we have to get to the ugly of some of our predictions this week. There are three games in here and there are three games that we got a little bit wrong when it came to our predictions this week. The first of those, the all-CUSA fixture between Charlotte and Florida Atlantic. Me and you both called this one for Charlotte. They were underdogs, not by much, but they were underdogs nonetheless. We said Charlotte and their offense would be able to win this. Well, we were wrong. It ended up Charlotte 13, Florida Atlantic 43, as Florida won by 30 points. Now, I am going to put a little bit of an asterisk here, because Charlotte's starting quarterback, Chris Reynolds, got injured early in this game. He was, ra he was put out the game temporarily, and by the time that he came back in... Florida Atlantic had already racked up a lot of points. They were fighting from a position behind. They made mistakes. Their defense, which was horrific last year, I think when we did our pre we did our preview of Cooser, it was ranked 124th out of 131. Well, that's come back with them this year. So those few factors combined absolutely blew this one out of the water for us. For Florida Atlantic, Nkosi Perry, the quarterback, he had a fairly good day. 16 of 22, 256 yards and a touchdown, and he had a rushing touchdown on the ground. The running back, Larry McCammon III, he had 14 carries for 118 yards and a touchdown. 7 of 8 receivers for Florida Atlantic had yards per catch numbers that went well into double digits. They just hurled the ball downfield and really hit this really bad Charlotte defense. The FAU defense as well was brutal. It had a 64% stop rate, a 21% havoc rate with eight tackles for loss, three sacks, and they also had an interception. On Charlotte's side, Chris Reynolds, the starter, like I say, got injured, then he came back in. He went 14 of 19, 196 yards and two touchdowns. His backup went 2 for 9 and threw a pick. That's where the game really got away from him. The running game went at 3.5 yards per carry, so nothing there. Just single out the wide receiver, Grant Dubose. He got four receptions for 89 yards and two touchdowns as a standout for this team. But... Um, yeah, we were wrong on this one, and I think even if he hadn't have been injured, that Charlotte defense is trash this year, and we might have to adjust our expectations for them. Yep. Like I say, even if he did played the whole game, I think they're still comfortably lost. Might have scored more points, but yeah, the defense, it was about as durable as single-ply paper. It was crap. It's going to ship a lot of points this year. 
I don't know if Reynolds is going to be able to overcome how bad that defense is this year. I think Charlotte are probably going to lose a lot of games. Mm, and that's bad news for Will Healy because I know he's highly thought of as a coach, but if they start getting whipped and they have a bad in-conference record this year, the pressure's going to pile on him very quickly. Um, Dr. Detroit asks us, what do we think of Michigan? I'll come back to that later, Dr. Detroit. I'll do our roundup here and then we'll come back and discuss them a little bit. So, yeah, there's not really much more to say about that, but good on Florida Atlantic. I think it was Willie Taggart, who's their boss there. They had a really good first game. I think his son was involved in this game as well. So, fair play to them. We'll see what they are going forward. Now, <laughs> the one that really surprised us the actual only one where me and you disagreed on who was going to win, and even though I picked the winner, I absolutely cannot claim to have guessed this properly because I said I had absolutely 0% confidence in them, and that's on record from last week, so I can't lie about it. The Vanderbilt Commodores facing the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. Now, this obviously SEC against Mountain West you know all SEC teams we say they go but Vanderbilt have not been a good team over the years and we talked about this last week Ryan predicted the Hawaii upset despite the fact their team has been gutted as well and is in you know a lot of turmoil at the minute I said I'd take Vanderbilt just because they're an SEC team facing Hawaii who weren't in a good situation but I didn't really have confidence in them well, Vanderbilt went and dropped a 60-burger in this game. It was Vanderbilt 63, Hawaii 10. Hawaii actually led 7-0 at one point, but kind of after that, that was as good as it got. The uh, Vanderbilt quarterback, I think it's Mike Wright. I didn't write his name down for some reason. Uh, he threw for 146 yards and two touchdowns. He rushed for 163 yards and two touchdowns. So <laughs> he ran more than he threw that day. Um, but yeah, this was kind of another one where the run game, they just kept running it and running it and running it. And Hawaii had absolutely no, um, no response to that. Although I will give a shout out to a couple of Hawaii players. The running back, Dedrick Parson, he went 13 for 82 with a touchdown. It was at 6.3 yards per carry. And that's on that Hawaii side against an SEC defense. So I'm going to give him his props. That's a good performance there. And they did actually have a 100-yard receiver. So Jonah Pinoke, he had 101 yards on seven catches. So a very difficult day for Hawaii, but a couple of good individual performances there. I mean... We got this wrong. Vanderbilt ain't going to do this again all season. I think we just have to accept that this happens sometimes, right? Oh, yeah. I was just being kind, like you say. Hawaii have barely <laughs> got lost. I just thought, I'll try to give them some hope. Like, it's laughable, Vanderbilt swinging their dicks around, like celebrating this win. The literal whipping boys of the SEC. Uh, they're going to get blown out probably nearly every other week. So, for them to take out all the frustrations on a... I feel sorry for, for Hawaii. They ain't got any fans. They ain't got a stadium. They've hardly got a roster that can compete in the Mountain West, let alone in any Power 5. Football is probably one of their least priorities right now. Like I say, it, just getting to the end of the season and seeing out the fixtures will be a challenge in itself. So Vanderbilt, they can, yeah, they might as well win it. They might as well go all out. They, they, they got the 60-burger. They... They racked up the points, but do they feel good about themselves? Like picking on the minnow, does it? Does it like being a bully? Is it? Do they feel good? Does it make them? Do they sleep well at night? 
it's a enjoy it but don't get used to it uh, like say if you're on twitter as well i won't be getting cocky either because you're gonna get brought down to work very quickly you know what in fairness i did see things some things on reddit from like sort of mocking this but it's like you know some poor like student on vanderbilt campus is going to have watched this game have fallen in love with the game of football and it's going to spend the next four years saying it'll be our time soon just on the basis of this result so i think they were taking some you know funny shots at one another as well as to just kind of what this team does for you it might put a good result out every now and then and give you hope but outside of that there's very little to cheer about but yeah we got that one wrong so you know fair play where it's due we'll admit yeah we kind of kind of kind of screwed that one up and the last of all 11 and this this was not by design but the one you went to ryan nebraska and northwestern you know we can't hide from the fact that last week me and you were on here I wouldn't say waxing lyrical about Nebraska, but we were being very nice about Nebraska. The term that they could be a sleeper, they could do much better. Obviously, they've got the offensive coordinator just in from Pittsburgh, and in fairness, they look pretty decent to start out with, with sort of um, what he was doing. Um, and we said, oh yeah, there's kind of no way that Northwestern are going to win this. The line wasn't anywhere near big enough. I think it was seven and a half points it was set out. We said, yeah, they're going to blow that out of the water, yada, yada. Even Scott Frost can't screw this up. Well, how wrong were we? Turns out Scott Frost could screw it up. Now, I'll just go through the stats here, but you were there, so I'll be able to take, you know, I'll go over to you for your take for this, because obviously you've been there, you've been able to see what's going on more, but, you know, let's give props where it's due. Let's not talk about how bad Nebraska were to start with. Let's talk about how good Northwestern were. So, Ryan Holinsky, the quarterback, gotten a lot of stick over time as to whether he's any good or not. 27 of 38. 314 yards and two touchdowns. Now, one nice thing I did say about Northwestern last week was the running back room could be pretty decent. They got the 1,000-yard guy last year. They had the one who was injured the year before who did really well. That was, of course, Evan Hull and Cam Porter. Well, they had really good games. Evan Hull was 29 carries, 119 yards and a touchdown. And he had five receptions for 55 yards in the passing game. So about 175 all-purpose yards on the day. Cam Porter went 19 carries for 94 yards and a touchdown, although he did have a fumble in there. The wide receiver, Malik Washington, he led receiving um, eight catches for 97 yards. On Nebraska's side, quarterback case. In fact, no, I'll stop there. Ryan, you were this one. Northwestern. Let's let's talk nice about Northwestern first. What did you see from them this week? Obviously, the left tackle Skaronski. He looks amazing. He looks like he could be a bone. Well, people say bona fide first round pick. I believe it now after watching that. But how? What? What did you see from Northwestern this weekend that kind of maybe we overlooked doing the preview last week? Nebraska had no run game their all line was poor casey thompson struggled like i said they they got harassed number two cam mitchell defensive back for northwestern interception two pass breakups one of them was in certified touchdown he looks the real deal he's someone to watch in the big 10 this year but also their punter they i think six punts and i think they, they penned them in the 15 like four times. There were two punts down the five-yard line. I was really impressed with their special teams. 
They made life in Nebraska absolutely awful. They got an awful field position constantly. So I was really impressed by that side of the ball. Nebraska started the game well, but in the second half, they faded. And Casey Thompson, he did not come out of this game looking very well at all, in my opinion. He he fell off a cliff badly. Yeah, so you mentioned Nebraska there. Let's just go through. So Casey Thompson, the quarterback, you mentioned him. 25 of 42, 355 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, one rushing touchdown. Now, you know, that's kind of like stat pad in there, I feel a little bit like. Those two interceptions, I think one came, it was either at the end of the third or the beginning of the fourth, at a really critical time, and he threw it into coverage straight to their guy. It was a terrible throw. And then the second one, I believe, was on their last drive when they sealed it. He put so much fizz on it. That poor receiver never had a chance of catching that thing. It was thrown at him so fast. I mean, it kind of just felt that, you know, he did. He actually had a good first half, and he looked pretty good. The touchdown pass was amazing, but it felt like when the pressure notched up a bit and the lights turned on, that he kind of bottled it a little bit. Yeah, and like you say, they had no run game. They could not run up the middle to save their life at all. It was a defensive player for Northwestern. I can't remember his name, number 99. He stuffed the run constantly. The pocket was collapsing. He had a minute. He had a really good game, and yeah, the second interception, he threw it too hard. The receiver just put a hand on it, tipped it. DB came down with the game over. First one, I think he targeted uh, Vokalek, the tight end, who was okay for Nebraska, but totally missed. Yeah, the two times when he needed to show composure in the second half, he did not show any. The first half, he looked good. I see it was a really nice touchdown throw on a, like a corner ball to the end zone. Yeah, everything in the second half went wrong. Yeah. Don't know, they, missed a t- they missed a field goal as well, I think just before the half, which did end up actually turning back and hurting them. That that hurt them in the end. They both missed a field goal, but yeah, Nebraska, tail of two halves, thought they were the better side in the first half, but when it really mattered, Northwestern came up and it showed up big in the second half. Linebackers as well, stuff in the run. Really good day on defense. So yeah, just to go back to your point, you mentioned the field position there. I've got this. I've got this wonderful website that does all sorts of stats for games and that. So the average starting field position for Northwestern it was at their own 27. Bear in mind they had 14 drives. For Nebraska on 14 drives, their average starting field position was their own 18. I mean, when you're starting in your own 20 on average all game, like you say, that makes it incredibly difficult to get up the field. Um, so in the running game, you mentioned the struggles. Anthony Grant was the only guy who did anything. He had 19 carries for 101 yards and two touchdowns. But like you say, outside of that, there, there was nothing. Nobody helped him whatsoever. And I feel like I saw some of the runs. It was kind of more down to him than his offensive line. He was sort of left out on a little bit of a, a cliff on his own sort of thing. The one that I, guy I was impressed by, the wide receiver Isaiah Garcia Castaneda, He's obviously the New Mexico transfer, I think he is. He had a solid debut, four catches, 120 yards and a touchdown, including that one ridiculously good throw that Thompson made when he was getting hounded by the Northwestern D-line. He he did fumble it once, though, and Northwestern recovered as a result of that. But I thought he looked pretty good. Like I say, it's coming up from New Mexico. Is his step up for him, but made some big plays for them. Yeah, the, the, the receivers played really well. Not 
Northwestern, let's say, had a number eighty. I don't know his name, but he looked good as well. He gave up some big catches. Even the tight end, like say Volkolak for Nebraska, looked pretty good. So his receiving options there, like I say, this, the offenses have got a lot of potential. Like I say, Northwestern, that was a really big win for them. Like I say, they, they were under-supported. Like I say, they were struggling in the first half. They were fighting back. Like I say, they, they matched them stride for stride, but they never liked taking over. But in the second half, when it mattered, they, 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 they stepped up, they put their foot on the gas, and they made life really hard for Nebraska. And Scott Frost now, yeah, he, the, the tension has just ramped up even more. I mean, he could not afford to lose that game, and he did. I mean, what was going through his mind with that onside kick? 11 points up, trying to onside it. I mean, I mean, what did you think when he did that? I mean, you're up there in the stands watching this, 11 points up, Northwestern are sort of struggling to get it up there and score points all the time, despite the run game doing all right. I mean, I mean, what was your like initial reaction when you first saw them do it? I was amazed. Half the people in the stadium didn't even know what it was, what they were doing, but no one seemed ready. They, did, they weren't lined up properly. It seemed like a rush for the minute decision. And Northwestern, Northwestern looked ready for it. They had guys right up to the line, and they recovered it with no one within five yards of them. Nebraska should have taken a timeout or something like that. They were not prepared, and it was a very bad decision. That was one of the things that probably killed momentum for them. Should have just, just kicked it away. Do you think they saw a signal or something? Like, you know, some kind of a cold call to do it? Or, like you say, I saw it, and it was like, one of the worst onside kicks I've ever seen. Just bounced straight up into the guy's hands, and they never had a chance of getting it. It's, I don't get him. When you're on the hot seat, and you know you're on the hot seat, and you're 11 points up in a game, it doesn't matter if you you know you kick it away and they score. It's going to take them longer to get down the pitch. You've still got a two-score lead. I don't know. It's just perplexing. But you know, in the case, it just like kind of proved us wrong. We're like, well, even Scott Frost can't screw up this week, and he went ahead and did it. So thank you, Scott Frost. Really, really appreciate that one from you there. Um, last one I would just ask you about this. They're, you know, These two teams, they do have some talent in them, but there is one potential, maybe bona fide, round one pick in an NFL draft in there. You've got to see him up close and personal. The left tackle, Peter Skaronski. What, what did he look like in the flesh there? Because from what I saw on TV, Jesus Christ, he looks like a monster. He dominated in the run game, in pass pro... You know, it seemed like no one got the better of him that entire game. And it's not like that Nebraska line with O'Shawn Mattis and all those new guys on there is bad. No, he is a man-mountain. I'd say when you see 77, people are like, I was like down at ground level behind the post. It's like, you can see how big he is. Ryan Helinski had a really clean pocket to work from. For most of the day, he, they caused him very little problem. Oshin Mathis might as well not even have been there. He might as well have still been back at TCU because he was not on the field. He did not make any difference. They got very little pressure on him. The offensive line as a whole, I was very impressed with. Like I said, there was a few guys that stood out. He was one of them. There was another guy, I think Nebraska stand-up for me, was I think a defensive back, number 23. He was all over making plays. I think he's called something Gifford. It was like a backer, cornerback. Oh, is it Shane was, Gifford? 
I think so, yeah, he was really good. He came close to making some big plays. He was all over the field making tackles. But yeah, they were the standouts on both sides of the ball for me. I don't know where Casey Thompson goes from here. I was impressed with one half. The second half, he just took flustered. Everything looked wrong. He needs a big bounce back. Like I say, he needs confidence. I was singing his praises, and I feel like a tip. Especially after that second half where he showed no composure and the accuracy. He was missing guys by like five yards. There was one throw where like a five yard out that was the easy first down. He overthrows the guys by like nearly ten yards. Jesus. I mean, do you reckon it's just confidence? Do you reckon it's Scott Frost sucking the confidence out of these guys? Because it must not be nice. You've just gone up 11 points. Your head coach onside kicks it. And they scored from that drive, didn't they? It was a touchdown not long after on that drive and you're like Christ I've got to go out there and do it again thanks coach there must there must be something like that to him because you know we we were high on him going there it, I just don't know I feel like it must be a team thing as well as not just him I don't he's know he's talented but I just don't I don't think it's the right environment for it being he's a starter and it'll be very hard to bench him mm. but I feel like is it is it more here than he can win and be talented or you can just get a full season of film under it. Mm. So what's, you know, you've seen them in the flesh. What what do you think is the ceiling for this Northwestern team? Do you reckon they can compete against some of these other guys in the Big Ten? Or is it kind of just, you know, the day out they sort of showed out a little bit more than usual? Do you, are you a lot higher on them now that you've seen them in person? Yeah, I'm much higher on them. Now I know that they've got a potentially good one-two punch at running back. And Ryan Helensky, as you mentioned, his career so far, he's very much flat to deceive. He has struggled in the passing game, but he had a very efficient day. He seems to have got one or two prolific receivers. And I think they've got one of the best defensive backs in number two, Cam Mitchell, maybe in the whole conference. He makes plays. He got an interception. He made big breakups. The team is littered with talent. I just think, can they put it all together on the day? So I think they will give teams problems. And I think they're going to be someone that probably shouldn't be underestimated now. Hey, that's what we like. We like to see these teams that you're not sure about fall out, do well. So I'm looking forward to it. And like I say, I'm looking forward to seeing Skaronsky some more. He looks the real deal. And he's going to be on draft boards very quickly. And people are going to be hearing about him very quickly this season, especially if he carries on like that so yeah that is everything from the week zero review i believe that when all is said and done i went nine and two you went eight and three so it was a pretty decent week for us um but obviously that was just the uh, the trial run there that we did of our uh, pick watch going forward the real one is going to start with week one coming forward quickly before we do um we before we talk about week one um, Dr. Detroit asked us in the YouTube chat earlier what we think about Michigan this year. Obviously, we've not really talked about the Power 5 teams per se that much. I mean, it's just come out this week that Jim Harbaugh has said that Cade McNamara is going to start week one against Colorado State. Um, JJ McCarthy's going to start week two against Hawaii. And, you know, this, this befuddles me because it's like, what can JJ McCarthy do? against Hawaii that will convince Jim Harbaugh that he's the starter going forward. You've just seen Vandy drop a 60-burger on them. I mean, 
you know, he could put 50 points up there on his own and you're like, well, that kind of doesn't show much to me. I I really don't get this approach at quarterback from them. But I mean, I mean, what do you think about it? And I mean, have you any other notes about what you think about the team at large? Vastly overrated. Michigan are doing out this year. They're going to regress from last year, I think. I don't see them being contenders for the title game. I I I don't trust Harbour either. Why not play them both one half? Mm. Very poor lack of judgment. If he's going to take, if they're going to smash Colorado State and they're going to smash Hawaii, you're not going to learn anything about either of the quarterbacks. They both play really good games. Then what do you do the first time you face a real opponent? Do you play them both? Do you play one half each? Do you give them both a drive? Right, pick a quarterback, commit to someone, and go with it. He's been spineless by playing them both. Make a goddamn decision. I'm not buying it. Like I said, it don't work. We've, team, we've seen lots of teams try to play multiple QBs in games and weeks. Eventually, it comes back to bite you on the ass. And also, the exodus of talent. I think Michigan might win 9-10 games, but they'll look a shadow of them for themselves. They're not replacing Hutchinson. There's no, there's no replacement for Hutch. Brad Hawkins and Daxton Hill have gone. That back end of that second draft, I think, is going to take a year or two to recover. So, no, I, I don't rate them this year. I mean, I, I don't know what to make of them this year because, quite frankly, the schedule is abysmal. Eight home games and the non-conference schedule is Colorado State, Hawaii, and I believe it's UConn. Is it UConn? Yeah, UConn was swapped out. Oh, UCLA was swapped out for UConn, I think it was. No so, chance to make a playoff. Even like, if they win all their games this year, that schedule is a shit show. But it's what, weak as piss. That's what I mean. I can't really judge the team based off the schedule. And, you know, I'm not trying to knock Michigan here. I'm really not. But when you're playing Colorado State, when you're playing Hawaii, when you're playing UConn, and you've got so many home fixtures to work off, especially against the Big Ten that's got a lot of let's say middling sides in there. I, mean, I know they've, I think they've got to go on the road to OSU, but they've got Michigan State at home. I just feel like you can't really garner that much about them, you know, because the schedule's poor. And like I said, I agree with you, maybe that schedule's going to work against them. You've got to beat Ohio State again. I guess if the Spartans do well and you beat them again, that's a top-ranked victory, but... Hmm. I just feel like the schedule's not going to tell me much about this team until you know come playoff time whether they can really do it or not. But we'll see otherwise. But yeah, I don't agree with the decision to play, you know, McNamara and then McCarthy in games where they're going to win by 40, 50 points. If you want to learn something about them, play them against Penn State or Michigan State or whatever. They're the games that matter. They're the ones under the lights. That's where you should find out who your your best quarterback is. So yeah. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see uh, when it comes to Michigan. Um, like I say, thanks to everyone who's listening along at the minute. If you do have questions or anything as we're going along, feel free to stick them in the chat and we will discuss them. But for now, we're going to head over and we're going to take a little look at week one. Now, obviously, with these games going forward, there are 130 teams playing most of these weeks. It's like 50, 55 odd games when you take out accounts to teams on buys, so we can't discuss every single game going. So what I've decided we'll do, when it, when it comes to looking at week one's fixtures, we're gonna discuss the fixtures 
that are on our pick watch for this upcoming week and then if me or Ryan have any other games that we want to mention or discuss if or any of you in the chat have games you want us to discuss then we will do so otherwise if we try to do it all we'd be here till tomorrow doing this so as I've said we're starting a pick watch for college football this year me and Ryan we're going to be taking our guesses on 10 games every week I'm going to pick them out we're going to pick some tough ones for you and if you want to get involved let us know we've already got I think now five people on our discord who have signed up for this so if anyone else on twitch or youtube wants to get involved let us know and we'll get you involved it's simply we're picking 10 games you've got to pick 10 winners and generally they'll be against about the more talked about games of the week so it's basically a preview of the upcoming week anyhow so gonna go through these one by one and Ryan just like last week we're gonna pick some winners out of those so the upcoming week we have some interesting fixtures on here the first game we're going to talk about Penn State at Purdue so I'll give you the lines on these as well to kind of give you an indication of who may be favorited to win this and who may be not so the line currently stands Penn State are three and a half point favorites for this one things you need to know Purdue have not beaten Penn State since 2004 they have played nine times since then Penn State have dropped a lot of double-digit hammerings on them over the years this has really been a one-sided fixture however this year Purdue have Aiden O'Connell now he doesn't have David Bell with him this year, but at quarterback, Aidan O'Connell was one of the biggest surprises in college football last year. Me and Ryan are both very impressed with him as a quarterback, so I absolutely don't put it past him to still be slinging this ball around to the new batch of receivers coming through this year. The Purdue defense last year was really damn good and kept them in a lot of games. I know when they beat I think I'm gone if I'm talking about the RCA. They beat Michigan State, I'm sure they did. And the defense was a big part of that. Um, they are minus George Carl Laftis. But, you know, that's just one guy. A lot of this defense from last year has come back. So it's going to be a formidable unit once more. And Penn State, let's just say, have been lacking on offense in recent years, especially the run game. Last year, they averaged, I think it was three yards per carry in Big Ten games. It might have been four. I'll split it. I'll say it's about three and a half yards per carry in Big Ten games last year it was poor this run game has been non-existent for a long time and especially with Ryan there are a lot of questions about Sean Clifford there as well in terms of Penn State they are all about the nasty defense they chuck out NFL caliber defenders every single season and Purdue are going to have to work hard to score their points here and you are going to be looking at the emergence of star freshman Nick Singleton at running back. He is getting a lot of hype in terms of the Saquon Barkley's in the world. Saquon Barkley came through Penn State. Nick Singleton, he's a five-star running back recruit. There is a lot of hype about this guy. He's already worked his way up to second on their running back depth chart. He's, I know we're not doing the sleeper teams I mentioned this week, but he's in mine. Just a spoiler there. Really excited about seeing this guy this year. So, Ryan, you've got a high scoring Purdue offense or it can be high flying at this point coming up against a really good Penn State defense and then you've got sort of middling Penn State offense which could get its running game back this year against a pretty decent Purdue defense this this is not the cut and dried out fixture that it's been in recent years Purdue have a good chance of pulling this one off here I reckon what are your thoughts on this one I can't see it but as much as I love Aidan O'Connell, 
the weapons have gone. Bell has gone. Harver, the tight end fullback, has gone. I'd say uh, Kendall Sheffield, I think the other likes of a receiver. I think yeah. he was hurt. I don't know if he's yeah. going to be ready for it. I don't know if he's playing this week. And like you say, Purdue and Penn State have picked up five-star and four-star running backs. Some of the best recruit, one of the best recruiting classes in the Big Ten. I don't think Purdue can score enough points in this defense. And I think Penn State are going to find their running mojo again this year. Now, I prefer Drew Aller. They've got the star freshman five-star quarterback who's behind Sean Clifford. I think at some point we will see Drew Aller play this year. Clifford is an okay stopgap. But I think I think Penn State will nick this one. I just think it's very early in the season for Aiden O'Connell to find that rhythm with someone that he's lost last year because they've had a big turnover on that team. So I think Penn State will just take this one. I think the defence will be able to stifle them week one. Oh, we're splitting straight away this week. We went 10 for 10 last week. You know, same bets. We were we were undivided until the Vanderbilt Hawaii game. We've we've separated week one. I don't know. I just I don't know whether this is because of our preference towards Purdue last year. I know we liked watching the Aiden O'Connell offense there. I just I feel like records are there to be broken, and I feel like this is the best Purdue team Penn State will have come up against in a while. And while, like I say, I am a you know I've watched Nick Singleton's high school highlights, and that I think he's legit. He's got burner speed, next level elite speed. You know, Penn State have churned out the likes of, I think Miles Sanders has come from there, Saquon Barkley's come from there. This guy could be the next one in those line of running backs coming from there. But, you know, as much as I said I've liked Sean Clifford over the years, I see that, you know, he is, he does have issues. I agree with you, the five star's going to supplant him this year at some point, I reckon. I just think, you know, this Purdue defense is good as well. I think they can hold them down points-wise, and I feel like Aidan O'Connell as the more explosive quarterback is going to be able to put more points on the board there for him. So we're splitting. Ryan's going to go Penn State. I'm going to go Purdue. Wonder what you guys who are doing the pick watch with us are going to say. Very interesting. That's why I picked these games. They're not easy games to predict a lot of these. The second one, we're staying in the Big Ten here, and, you know, this is not by... Not by design. It's just the games I was going through, the ones that I thought that might be difficult to predict. So we've got another All-Big Ten one. Illinois will be playing their second game of this season are away at Indiana. Now, I feel like this is a trap game. So the Hoosiers, that's Indiana, they are three-point favorites for this game. And I don't know how. Indiana were atrocious last season, to put it lightly. They lost every single Big Ten game they played, and they were straight trash at just about everything. So the head coach there is Tom Allen. He is 26-32 in his Indiana career. He is 15-28 in the Big Ten. So that's nearly 1-2 to two on the win-to-loss ratio in conference. They're coming off a 2-10 season. They've just hired Walt Bell as their offensive coordinator. He has a massive track record of failure behind him. He was offensive coordinator at Florida State back in the days when they were absolutely trash a few years back. He was head coach at UConn, did absolutely nothing there. So I don't know how he's got a job there, but you don't feel inspired that that's going to make Illinois an offensive powerhouse anywhere in the near future. Whereas Illinois, you know, Illinois 
As we said earlier in the review of Week Zero, they were not great against Wyoming, but they are turning a corner there. They actually look like they're making progress forward. They're a middling team at the minute, so that doesn't really mean a lot. But I think Illinois, even though they're on the road, are the better team here. And I don't know how Indiana are favoured, but I know, feel free to disagree with me. Thoughts on this one? Who's who's going to take the win in this all Big Ten tie? Indiana have not replaced Ty Freifogel, Michael Penix Jr. or Peyton Hendershot. Star receiver, quarterback and tight end are all gone in the last draft period. So... There's very few weapons. Their offense, to say leaky, would be an under would be a minor way. The defense has been awful in the last few years. So yeah, I'm all about the Illinois train. Illinois are not that good. They're ugly. It's going to be an ugly game. I think it's going to be low scoring, but I think they can probably get the job done. It's yeah. good. I, I think I can see a three. I can see it being coming out like two or three points. I don't oh, think yeah. any team will score. Up. I can't see either of them scoring above 21 points. Oh, no. I think this is going to be a slugfest for absolute sure. But I'm with you. I think Illinois are going to win this. I just don't see how Indiana are favourites for anything. Like I say, they've not replaced the star guys. Who's their quarterback? They couldn't win a Big Ten game last year. To Oh, God. What's his name? They've got a transfer in from Missouri, I want to say. Um, well, it'll be a Not back. Connor Bazelak, is it? Yes. I believe oh. he, I think... I think he is the predicted star. I could be wrong, but I think he is the starter there at the minute. I think, pretty sure they said it was the Mizu transfer. So, yeah, he's there. So, I don't see how they're favourites for this, given they couldn't win a Big Ten fixture last year. So, I'm going Illinois as well. I think they're at least an okay team, and, you know, they'll they'll come away with the win that day. So, we are agreed there. Game three, Notre Dame at Ohio State. Big one. Two big powerhouses here. Ohio State favoured by 17 points. Three scores Ohio State are favoured by in this one. So obviously, CJ Stroud is back. You know, a lot of clamour for him to be in the draft pool for the Detroit Lions next season. I am absolutely 100% not buying into his hype just yet, but he is back with his trusty field generals. Obviously, you have Travion Henderson, the star freshman running back from last year probably the best freshman running back in college football he's coming back jackson smith in jigba the wide receiver there's a lot of talk that he could be better than garrett wilson and chris olave who were both just taken in the teens of the first round of the previous nfl draft the weapons are there and you know what more can you say about ohio state that you know no matter how much talent they lose there are five star guys are plenty waiting to replace at every single position but i mean they're coming up against the notre dame side who yes we gave a lot of you know a lot of flack to last year but this is a team who are fully united behind marcus freeman like he is the unanimous choice to be coached and now that brian kelly did them dirty and left last season Marcus Freeman seems to have everyone on board there. There is no shortage of talent on this roster. You know, they bought in Brandon Joseph, one of yours and I's favourite players going into this season, the safety. So they've replaced the Kyle Hamilton hole there. I mean, this is a perfect game for Brandon Joseph, if you think about it. If CJ Stroud's going to fling it around all over the field, chance for him to land some picks there. I mean... I don't think this is as cut as a 17-point win. Ohio State started slow last year. They lost to Oregon. 
believe that was at home as well. So I think it's unfair to call Notre Dame 17 point outsiders for this one. I don't know what. How do you see this one going? Oh, Notre Dame getting blown out. I think 17 points. I, I'm, I'm going 21 plus. There'll no way can that Notre Dame offense. What offense? What a freshman quarterback. He, he cannot hang at all with that offense. They are not starting for this year. For all the recruitment and how much I like Marcus Freeman, this is the worst game possible open their season. They've got loads of new faces. Like I said, they've got young kids. They've got kids that are trying to grain in. A lot of high recruits. But nope. This gelled thing, I think this is where the Travion Henderson-Heisman uh, title starts straight away. I don't think they'll be able to stop them in any phase. Wow. You know, before that, I was actually thinking about predicting an upset here, but you've, you've, you've kind of made me double think, you know, reconsider that point of view. I mean, The Notre Dame quarterback situation alarms me. Isn't Tyler Boone It won't great last year, but I... I think I think yeah. Tyler Boone. And I was not impressed with him last year. No, I mean, do you know, very, I mean, still very inexperienced. I mean, the fact they always field a great offensive line, though. I mean, I'm not sure what the situation is at running back this year. Or am I? We did a preview on Notre Dame. I don't know why I can't remember. It's a lot of teams to remember, but I think that defense will hold. I feel like the defense ain't going to get ripped apart by CJ. Like I said, I think a lot of this comes down to Travion Henderson. If he can get the sort of six, seven, eight yards per carry and keep that offense rolling, stop Stroud from running down the field, but I don't know. I just fancy Brandon Joseph to have a good day here. I fancy that secondary to maybe get a few picks on CJ Stroud. Screw it. You know what? I'm going to stand up and you know what? I'm going to do what you did last year. He maybe believed in Notre Dame early. I lost faith in them early. Well, screw it. I'm going to go with a Notre Dame upset here. I don't know. Something's just calling out to me saying Notre Dame can win this one. Or at least if they don't, I don't think Ohio State are going to cover the spread. I'll cover myself with that one. don't think it's going to be 17 points. So, Ryan's going Ohio State. I'm going to go Notre Dame. So, there we have it. We have another split on the cards there. Um, next up, interesting one here. I'm interested to see your thoughts on this one here, Ryan. Army. The Black Knights away at Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina opened this one as two-point favourites. Now, last year, if you'd have asked me this, I'd have laughed in your face and said that Coastal would win this by an absolute landslide. But, you know, we covered Coastal as part of our college previews this year. Grayson McCall is going back, yes, but he's lost a lot of talent there. A lot of players have left Coastal this year, whether it be through the draft or through graduation. There is precious little of that team coming back. And the Army Black Knights are one of those service teams at the moment. They had a good year last year. They're going to run the ball down your throat. They're going to test you. They're going to make you work for every single yard you want to get against them. And they're just going to hurt you into submission. You're going to have to keep getting up, hitting that offense, stopping this triple threat getting on top of you and I don't know what a new team a brand new team at Coastal is going to take like to this you know Army are not pushovers how do you see this one going between the Army Black Knights and Coastal Carolina Army win I think Andre Carter Jr. can keep uh, uh, can keep Grayson McCall in the pocket McCall's lost the weapons 
the Coastal Carolina defense has lost the uh, has lost the star linebacker. Gunter's gone. I think Army are going to run and run the ball down their throats. I think Army are going to bulldoze them. Like I said, I think in the passing game, you can still be susceptible. Someone's going to show up for Grayson McCall, but I think that will all be in vain. I don't think it'll be huge scoring. I think they're going to stifle Coastal Carolina and they may generate offence. This is the make or break year for Grayson McCall and he's lost all his... He's the supporting... He's lost his supporting cast. Like I say, he may be that guy that gets nominated for an Oscar for the lead male, but where's the supporting cast that's going to help him? All the things around him have gone at the wrong time. So I think I'm going to take Army in an upset. But I don't think it's a huge upset as well. I think it's two points, awful, yeah. It's an awful stylistic matchup for Coastal Carolina because this is going to be their total nemesis. A ground and pound team. We're going to find out are the Chanticleers, are they soft? Are you a yeah. soft? Are you a bit wet? Because Army are tough and their defence, how are they going to run the ball as well? I think they're going to get exploited. I think we're going to see the real Chanticleers and they might roll over and have their belly tickled in that second half. See, I'm so conflicted by this. I'm a massive Grayson McCall fan and I want to believe that this coastal side can roll Army over just for the fact of elevating Grayson McCall up in the draft this year. But at the same time, I can't ignore the fact that, you know, Coastal, they underachieved last year, really. They lost a couple of games maybe that they should have won and they're coming up against a very disciplined unit. Army, for the most part, are pretty good. And when you've got a lot of new guys, maybe some freshmen in there who are going to come in and they're going to be taking all these hits all the time, you just wonder whether they can hold up against them. And it's 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 so difficult. It really is. I think... I don't... I'm going to take Coastal. You've got Army. I'm going to go Coastal. But I think it's going to be damn close. It's one score. I don't see it being any more than that. I just... I just want to believe that Grayson McCall can elevate this team up to his level and be able to pull a rabbit out of a hat without all these guys around him. So I'm going to go Coastal for this, but yeah, I'm not confident on this one at all. Um, and now the one that Ash has been waiting for, the neutral site game, been set down in New Orleans. Of course, this was always going to be on the pick watch you have the LSU Tigers versus the Florida State Seminoles Florida State did not get a challenge last week from Duquesne but boy oh boy you know LSU they are going to put up a fight this week and the line actually stands with LSU as three point favorites for this one like I say it's on neutral ground in New Orleans LSU well Put it this way, they've been underachieving now since the Joe Burrow days. I bet they long, fond, I bet they fondly long to return to those days again. The offense has just really struggled, despite having stars on there like Keishon Butte at wide receiver, expecting another massive year from him there. But the quarterback position has been one where they've struggled. They've had all the issues with Max Johnson over in the preseason and having to start again there. And they're starting from scratch. The defense, always really good there. That's one thing that sort of has stuck up for them. The LSU defense has been really good. And now... They've got Brian Kelly at the helm, and let's let's see. That's that's been quite a fun 
slash cringeworthy show to watch this off-season there. I just don't know what we're going to get from LSU this season, but at the same time, I didn't really learn much from Florida State last week that would, you know, make me change my mind on this. I, I don't know. I feel like this is going to be another one that's very close here. Like I say, LSU, they've got Keishon Butte. He's a difference maker on his day. He's one who could absolutely tilt this game in LSU's favour about I don't know, Ryan, what are you feeling about this one? Are you high enough on LSU and Brian Kelly to, to pull this one off? Or do you think Mike Novell and the Seminoles can pull off an upset here? Well, I think LSU are going to be a laughing stock this year. Brian Kelly's a clown. I don't think he's a good appointment. And Keishon Boutier's draft stock is going to plummet because he's got Jaden Daniels as his quarterback. I know him better than anyone. He's one of the most overrated quarterbacks in the Power 5 conferences. He is going to go to LSU and fall flat on his face. So, yep, I'm taking Florida State. There's no chance. I do not trust this LSU side as far as you can throw them. Like I said, Bouette will do everything he can, but I don't trust Jane Daniels getting the ball. He was a turnover machine last year. I think he went like 10-10 in 10 on touchdowns and interceptions. He makes blunders. He makes total mind freezes. This isn't me hyping up. FSU, this is me not trusting LSU whatsoever. This team is a shadow of its former self. They've got one of those tits that you either like or dislike a head coach. I think this will all blow up in their face, hiring Brian Keller. So, yeah, I'm, I'm taking FSU because I think they're the more disciplined and they've got a few more weapons on the defensive side of the ball. LSU these days, I don't think they're desirable. I don't think it's a place that players clamour to go to like it was back in the day. Ashley David Soden, I hope you are listening very, very, very closely here. Florida State is getting the sweep in this week's Pick Watch on here. I am going to pick Florida State to win this one against LSU. You better damn well win, otherwise I am not betting on you again all damn season. So, Ryan is picking Florida State. I am picking Florida State. Ash, if I so much as see you pick LSU in the pick watch, then you're not a real FSU fan. If even I'm betting on them, you can as well. So, Jaden Daniels will get benched at least once this season. <laughs> he will miss at least multiple games as a starter. He is not good enough to play in the SEC. I can tell you now he will not translate to that conference. He was good at ASU in the shitty Pac-12, but he had some monumental fuck-ups. Mm. He is going to... Jeremy Robinson, if I'm you, I'll be licking my lips. You take away the wet, he won't do anything. There we go. That is more praise than Florida State have ever got on here before, and it's lightly given, but there we go, Ash. Florida State sweep. What's next on the agenda? Ooh, interesting one here, and I don't know how to feel about this. Utah at Florida. Now, as has already been pointed out by Ash, apparently Florida having to pay Utah to go there this week. Don't know what the whole story is behind that at the moment, but hey-ho, the game is happening. So, obviously, Utah, Pac-12 champions. Very impressive last year. Took down Oregon twice, even though I think they were underdogs in both of them. 
Coming into this season with a few losses, obviously Devon Lloyd is the big guy they've missed at linebacker, but the one I'm really excited to see this year, I think they've got a hell of a replacement there for him, Mohamed Diabate, the linebacker who I believe has actually come across from Florida, so his first game is going to be back at his old team. I think Mohamed Diabate is a great all-round linebacker who is going to get Devon Lloyd chatter by the end of this season. Um, Utah are favoured by two and a half points in this fixture. Obviously, Florida, a lot of hopes pinned on Anthony Richardson at quarterback this year. Can he be the next best thing since sliced bread, as they're talking about? I seem to remember you're not as high on him as I am. I think he's going to be pretty good this year, but... You know, this Florida team are another who've kind of been sitting in purgatory for a little while now. Billy Napier is there after his success with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Can he change their fortunes as they were? I mean, I don't know what you think, right? Utah, two and a half point favorites going away to Florida. What are your thoughts on this one? I think Billy Napier can be a long-term success in Florida. It doesn't start this week. I think Utah win comfortably. Utah have got good players across the board. Clark Phillips, one of the best corners, I'm going to say, in the FBS. Draft sleeper. He's going to rise above boards next year. Dalton Kincaid, great tight end. Cam Rising, one of the surprises of last year. No one expected him to be as good as a QB as he is. They're well-drilled unit on both sides of the ball. I think they've got too much for them to handle. I think Utah will win by a score or two. I don't think Utah, like I said, I think Anthony Richardson's a good quarterback, but I think he's going to be up and down. I think it's a very stiff defense and a hard opponent for him to week one. I think Florida going to have to grow into their season a little bit. I do want to see Ricky Pearsall, my old Sun Devil wide receiver. He's now like their top target in Florida. He's got the number one jersey. He transferred in. Like he will probably be one of the go-to guys this year for Richardson. So they've got a weapon, and Utah will know him pretty well. So it's not like there's not talent on that team. But they've got but a lot of guys brought in. Took some guys from Louisiana. It's going to take some guys for them to gel in. But I think Utah, they're going to be one of the teams to watch again to make a sneaky playoff run. I've got them as Pac-12 winners again. But this is a very big test of their credentials. If they want a schedule to try and make the playoffs, this is a good start. It's to take down a decent Florida side. So I think Utah have got too much for a very young, naive Florida side. You know what? I've seen Utah put in a few college football playoff brackets as well, and I don't think it's by chance. I think there is logistical reasoning behind it. I know they've lost a few guys this year, but for the most part, they are coming back intact. Like I say, they've replaced Lloyd with Diabate, which I think is a good like for like there. I think they've done well at doing that. I, I'm with you. I, I'm picking Utah for this one. I, I, they were one of the surprise teams last year. I didn't really care much about them this season start, but as they went on, I saw them play a bit more. I sort of really got into watching them. And I do hope they do well again this year. I, I am worried that they're on the road. I do love Billy Napier as a head coach. I think he did a great job at Louisiana. I love Anthony Richardson as a quarterback. I think he's doing a good, going to do a great job there. But I'm with you. I think it might take time. And, you know, Utah reigning Pac-12 champions, they've kind of got more of it at the moment. So 
I'm with you. I'm, I'm going to go Utah. I think they're going to beat Florida. But I think it's going to be a really good game for the neutral to watch. I'm looking forward to hopefully being able to find a stream on that one there. We're um, down to our last few now. So first up, we have Houston Cougars. One of your favourite quarterbacks resides there. Who did from last season. They are away at UTSA, the University of Texas San Antonio. Obviously, Sands won Cynthia McCormack, but still won Frank Harris, who's the best quarterback in the CUSA. Probably, actually, this might be one of the fun quarterback duels to watch out of this. Houston favoured by four points, but they're on the road, and as me and you very well know, UTSA are no mugs. So, you know... I don't think this is as clear cut maybe as the betting lines are indicating. So, Houston UTSA thoughts on this one? I think I think Houston are going to be another. They're going to have a very good season again. I think Clayton Tune is going to finally go out of a bang. I think it's his last year of eligibility. He's got uh, he's got one of the top receivers. Uh, He's going to have a very good connection with him in uh, Nathaniel Dell. They're going to be fun to watch this year. Dana Hogerson likes to take risks. They're a very aggressive side. Like I said, they win by the sword, they die by the sword. UTSA relied very heavily on Sincere McCormack. He is now gone. They've got they've got other guys in the roster. They've brought people in, but to replace what he did will not be easy. And they didn't always have a backup plan. UTSA were they bulldozed some sides last year. I don't think they can replicate that this year. I think they're going to take time to find the replacement, the new work back, and be able to run over sides. They're definitely not going to bulldoze Houston. Houston won't be bullied like UTSA did some last season. I think Houston are going to win comfortably. I think Houston are in for a massive year. I think they are going to really surprise a few people this year. See, this is another tough one for me. UTSI a team I can't help but like. When they say they've they've lost since McCormack, you've lost Tariq Woolen in the secondary. You know, if, if he's sort of ball hawking back there and Clayton Tunes throwing it, I'm like kinda, oh, hang on here. I can see a guy who can make his life difficult in the secondary. Can they replace him? Um I'm with I think I'm going to go with you. I think I'm going to go Houston, but I don't think it's going to be a, a, a multi-score thing. I think this is going to come down to one or two points. I really do believe in Frank Harris at UTSA. I think he can pick up some of the slack left behind by Sincere McCormack and get them a passing game this year because maybe they were a bit too reliant on Sincere McCormack in the run game this year. Maybe by evening out that offense a bit, throwing it a bit more, relying less on the run. So obviously Spencer Burford, the left tackle's gone as well, so you've kind of lost some of your key if components. If you can to me they're not a one-dimensional yeah. side, that's what they need to do this year. Last year, yeah, they were very one-dimensional. It worked, but Yeah, he's gone now and it won't work. Like, look at Western Kentucky. Yeah. Last year, very one-dimensional side. They've lost their star receiver, star QB. Didn't look very good in week one. So it'll be very interesting to see, will UTSA be as sluggish as Western Kentucky were? Yeah. I think I'm with you. I think Houston are going to make a run at the ACC this year. Or the A, the American. They're going to make a run at the American this year. 
Um, they're going to challenge Cincinnati for it. They've probably got the more intact team from last year, so I think the offense will probably just crack UTSA, but it won't be by much. So I've got Houston on there as well. Um, you said you weren't impressed, really, with Drake May and UNC last week. Well, here's your chance to maybe be impressed by them. UNC traveling to Appalachian State. Last time these two teams met in 2019, Appalachian State beat them. I believe that was at the start of the Sam Howell era there. Appalachian State are favoured in this game by 0.5 of a point, so it's barely a line whatsoever. Probably home advantage, given a tiny bit of an advantage here, but you've Obviously, you've seen UNC in a game this year. The offense hummed, albeit against FCS opposition. You know, they kind of passed it well. They ran the ball well. But you know Appalachian State. You were high on Appalachian State last year. We've just seen one of their players crack our 53-man roster for the Detroit Lions. Demetrius Taylor is now a Detroit Lion on the 53-man roster. He was a wrecking ball for them. He is not the only one of those guys that they still have on there this season. They... They are a very tough nut to crack, and if you are a team like UNC who don't turn up on the day, they could easily blow you away. I mean, do you fancy Drake May to be able to take on this challenge on the road to Appalachian State after week one, or do you think this is the time when maybe he starts getting found out a little bit? I'm going to take App State in a big shootout. I'm saying this is going to be a massive shootout. I think they're just going to sling it back and forth. I am taking, I'm going to say, this is the kind of game that's going to be like 40-35. I don't trust that UNC defense at all. We saw the flaws last week. We saw that, it, like I say, we saw they needed the offense to pull away in the fourth quarter in week one as well. Drake may had everything his own way. That's not going to happen this week. We have seen that uh, Chase Bryce and the App State defense as well, they can get pressure. They have that havoc rate. They can make plays in the backfield. They may be able to put a freshman quarterback under a little bit more pressure. He might have to second-guess himself. He might not be able to have everything on a platter, take shots, or just feel comfortable being dropped back. That pocket might have to work a little bit harder to protect him. So I'm, I feel comfortable in saying that they're going to make life very difficult for him. So I'm going to take up State. Like I said, I think this UNC team is flawed across the board still as last year. I'm going to take Appalachian State as well. And I mean, that's coming from a guy who generally tends to side with UNC more than he doesn't. I, I am a fan of UNC, especially the uniforms they come out with. But I was quite impressed with them the first week, although they struggled with Florida A&M. But I remember last year under underestimating Appalachian State when they came up against Coastal Cal, because obviously I'm all aboard the Grayson McCall train and you've seen what they can do to an offense like that they sort of shut it dead they gave it a lot of hassle a lot of hurrying you know forced them forced them to pass it quicker it just didn't look like the same offense because of what Appalachian State was doing to it with that defensive line and yes they've lost a couple of guys but you know we did the preseason preview on them and there's still a lot to like there on that defensive line and on that defense and on offense they're pretty good as well so, yeah, I'm with you. I can see Appalachian State sort of collapsing this in there because, obviously, UNC, it was a freshman running back who got 100 yards last week. Now, not knocking him at all. Great achievement. But, again, against an FCS side, he's going to be coming up against guys who are going to hit a lot harder 
this week. Can he keep that sort of level of momentum up? Can Drake May keep his level of momentum up? I would be concerned. So, yeah, I'm going to take Appalachian State as well with you. Fully agree. Just two left. We are nearly done. Now, this is another one I'm interested to get your thoughts on because this is a team who is playing its first game in the FBS there. And I know you watched a lot of them last season. They're frequently in and around the FCS playoff scene that you do frequent. You watch Middle Tennessee away at James Madison making their debut in the FBS here. I wonder if he goes with the FCS connection there. Obviously, we've done previews of these teams when we did the um, CUSA, is this CUSA or is it Sunbelt? It's Sunbelt, isn't it? My bad. So when we did the Sunbelt preview, if, you, if you're doing the pick watch with us and you want to have a review of the teams, they're in there, go find them. But I mean, Middle Tennessee are a decent side, but they're away from home. And when you're an FCS team on the way up, you've got something to prove. Can James Madison, despite losing a lot of talent coming into this season, can they have that kind of first hurrah against a team that just seems to be middling it out and not doing much at this moment in time? Or will the experience and the savvy of the Middle Tennessee side overcome the new boys on the block? James Madison favoured by six points in this one. I thought that was maybe a little bit surprising here. Which way are you leaning on this one, Ryan? I'm taking the Dukes. I think they should have made the step up to the FCS maybe a year or two ago. Like, say, Middle Tennessee, for now, last few years. They just tread water. I think they will, they're going to turn up and they're going to underestimate James Madison. They're going to see they've lost talent, but it's one of the most well-coached teams in football. Like, say, and I think they're going to follow the trend of uh, Liberty and teams like that that have come up to the FBS and they've made a splash quickly. They've adjusted to life very quickly and I think James Madison are going to be a problem in the Sun Belt for some sides. Like I said, they're no mugs. Like I said, they're not coming up without a lot. They've still lost some players but they've still got core talent there, well coached and they're still a big side with a big following so this is a trap game for Middle Tennessee. Like They're going to think, oh, well, We'll welcome them into a conference with a nice shellacking. No, you won't. Even if Middle Tennessee win, they're gonna they're gonna have to work for it, and it's gonna be really difficult. But look, I'm taking the Dukes. It's gonna be close. I don't see it being a barnstormer. Do you think they cover the spread at six points? Mm, no, this will be a three or four point game. I don't see much high powered offense. See. I don't know. I'm going to split from you here. I know I get what you're saying about James Madison. They are well coached. They are coming from a sustained period of success in the FCS. Maybe not in the playoffs, but you know they win a lot of games every season. They know how to win games. And just feel kind of like they've lost a lot of their playmakers coming up this year. It's a lot of the team to lose, but I guess the transfers they're picking up will be better. The recruits they're getting will be better because they're coming up. So can they replace them quickly? Maybe. Middle Tennessee are a middling team. I think their head coach has been there forever and a day. I just think maybe the nows of the savvy a little bit gets gets the better of the new guys. But I would not be surprised if James Madison won. I would probably be happy if James Madison won. But I'm going to diverge and I'm going to go Middle Tennessee here. So you're going James Madison. I'm going Middle Ten. Just before we do the last one, like I say, every week I just want to commit. You know, I just want to comment on Depth Fan Man's commitment 
To general booty, the Oklahoma quarterback, he goes, it's perfect you guys are picking Oklahoma to beat UTEP by a beautiful debut booty performance as the last game selected. Well played, gents. <laughs> Oklahoma versus UTEP this week. I would expect Oklahoma to win that one, especially given how UTEP have gone into North Texas this week. Hopefully general booty plays. I hope he does. And then we'll talk about the performance next week, Death Fan Man. So hopefully... I'm not convinced he'll ever take a snap as a sooner. Is it? Yeah, yeah. I, shh, we you have to pause that, QB. He's Juco. People, are, I, I know that, but he's <coughs> not even high school like a five-star prep, like say. His Juco's are. Yeah. I reckon he will transfer at the end of the year. Yeah. If, well, he's, if he plays this year at Oklahoma, fair enough. He will not be there in a year's time. He will go somewhere where he is more at his own level and he might get a starting gig. Hmm. But he could surprise me. Never know. We'll find a home for the booty next season, for absolute sure. Right, we've got one game left, and then we are done for this evening. Um, maybe inherent bias towards a certain player to include this team on here, but we have Cincinnati, the reigning American champions. They are on the road to the SEC, where they will play the Arkansas Razorbacks. Arkansas favoured by six points in this one. Cincinnati, hey, they got to the college football playoffs last year, but they are dealing with a lot of loss. And again, if you want to see our preview of Cincinnati, go and take a look at our American show. I think they're the first team we talk about on there. Obviously, you've lost Desmond Ritter at quarterback. You know, you've lost your star running back, Jerome Ford. You've you've lost talent all over the show there. And they are rebooting big time this season. And they're coming up against an Arkansas team that just happens to be one of my favorite because they're led by the ultimate sleeper quarterback this year, K.J. Jefferson. And you're going to hear his name every single show this season because, you know, I'm going to get it in there until he's Lions fans' choice favorite to draft. Um, but anyhow, this Arkansas team, 12 months ago, we were talking about them having one of the toughest schedules in the entire of college football because they did. It was rough. But they ended up surpassing expectations last year. I think it was 7-6 and six they went in the end. KJ, who I absolutely hated to start with because he did nothing. He was very poor in the first few games. Nearly tanked Traylon Burks' draft stock. Came alive. Looked really good. That team pulled off some surprise upsets last season. And I think they're on their way up in the SEC at the minute. But like I say, they're coming up against college football playoff finalists. Winners of the American League. I don't know. Is this one clearing cut? Arkansas six. Who are you taking on this one? Cincinnati or Arkansas? Cincinnati are going to get spanked. Cincinnati are going to have a horrible year. They have lost all their best players, and for me, they have not replaced any of them. Like I said, because they're not a big recruiting school. Luke Fickle. Do you know what? He's going to find this year really hard. I think they're going to lose multiple games by a lot of scores because it's a totally different side. Like I said, people can forget about last year. It's gone. It's not coming back either. Cincinnati, you're not making. You may never make a playoff again. That might be the only time you've ever done it. This team is now, in my opinion, devoid of talent in all the key areas. All the key big players have gone. I think Arkansas are going to put a whooping on them. And 41, 14, 14, 21 points. Going to have a hand handed to them by an SEC. They're going to struggle in the American as well. 
Cincinnati Hook fans, I would lower expectations to the bare minimum this year. You're about to do an LSU when they won the national title. Yeah, I was, I was trying to find fixtures towards the end here. I think this one maybe was... It is technically a ranked-on-ranked fixture, this is. So that's why this one got in here. But maybe since you're going to be out of the ranks pretty quickly. How? Why are since you ranked? I don't know. I think they're ranked 23rd. I think it's 23rd versus I don't understand 16th, why. But, um, yeah... Probably just because they got to the play. It's on the back of last year. I think recruiting-wise, I think the class is pretty good, but they're all going to be freshmen. So you've got to bet them in. It's got to take a year at least. You've lost a lot of players. So, yeah, they're, 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 they're going to be... I don't think they're going to be great this year. So, yeah, we're picking the sweep with Arkansas to finish off the pick watch this week. Uh, all ten fixtures have been placed in our Discord. I don't think anyone outside of it has agreed to do it, so we will leave it in Discord House at the moment. And then next week, we'll go through all the fixtures, we'll update the leagues, and we'll just do this week by week, yada yada yada. Um, in terms of any other fixtures next week, I mean, I don't know if there's any that stick out to you that you want to quickly discuss, right? But I mean, in terms of the other ranked teams, um, Oklahoma State are at home to Central Michigan, Pittsburgh at home to West Virginia, Wake Forest at home to the Virginia Military Institute. I'm going to assume that's another service team down at the FCS side, but I've not heard of them there before. Um, Michigan State ranked 15th, they're at home to Western Michigan, um, Alabama at home to Utah State, obviously they're ranked number one. You've got number three ranked Georgia against at home to Oregon, number 11. Texas A&M are at home to Sam Houston. Oklahoma, as Depp Fan Man mentioned, are at home to UTEP. North Carolina State on the road to East Carolina. Miami, Florida at home to Bethune-Cookman. Kentucky, they're at home to Miami, Ohio. Ole Miss start at home to Troy. Oh, maybe that could be an interesting one. That Troy defense will be good. Uh, BYU start on the road to South Florida. And I think in terms of the ranked teams, that is just about it. Oh, you've got Clemson on the road to Georgia Tech as well. I don't know. Is there any, any other games you want to focus on this week at all? Yeah. There's some sides there. I, I don't know what to make of Oregon. Well, I've, never liked Bo, I've never liked Bo Nix. No. Still don't trust him now. I don't know if they're going to... People think they can challenge Utah for Pac-12. I just... It just which one do you get? Bo Nix can be really good sometimes, all the times. It can be crap. Well, he's got a, he's got a five star breathing down his neck in the back up in Ty Thompson, and it's a draft year. Like I said, this is the year where he decides does Bonix get drafted, or does he fade into undrafted obscurity? So, mm. and the Georgia team is stacked with talent again. Like I see, got guys like Kelly Ringo, one of the top corners in the game. That's going to make life really difficult for him. So that is an interesting matchup. I think that's chance, Georgia's chance to put down a bit of a stamping if they want to. But then you've got the Oregon linebackers. I don't care about seeing Noah Sewell because we know what it can do. I want to see Justin Flo. Like I say, he's played such little football. This has got to be the year where he finally makes a name for himself. So that is probably the game I'll be watching because there's players on there that I'm very much interested in. Well, like you say, you don't know what you're going to get with Oregon. Are you going to get the team that turn up and not upset Ohio State or the team that go away and lose to Stanford? You know, there's, there's a very vast difference there. 
between Ohio State and Stanford, and you know they win one, they lose the other. You just, you just don't know what you're going to yeah. get. I think I Pittsburgh think v West Virginia, like the QB yeah. battle, could stink. Mm. I don't trust JT Daniels or Pins Lovett. No, can't, can't trust them as far as I can throw them. Like no. getting the keys to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh have been very successful for a few years, but I think that all comes to a halt this year. Well, that's why J- that's why a Jordan Addison jump ship. Because the moment that Kenny Pickett left, he said, I am out of here. So whoever's coming in, and I saw Pitts uh, back up last year, he stunk. So when they brought in a new QB this year, I do not trust them all. West no. Virginia, put West Virginia in upset alert, anyone watching. I think they could upset Pittsburgh. Yeah, I, I mean, I just, yeah, I don't see it either. I'm... <sighs> I think if you're a DB, you're like your eyes light up when you see those names there at quarterback, don't you? Just like, yeah, these two guys are going to be able to throw a lot of picks on their day here, and I just, yeah, I, I don't trust either one of them. That's one of the early games this week, so it could be could be interesting to see uh, interesting to see who get the wins. But I'm like, I I would uh, put the upset on there, so I only didn't include them because they're one of the first games this week, and I want to give people time to. Uh, Get their uh, get their bets. So I think where are USC this week? They're away at Rice, so I don't think we're going to see anything mm-hmm. about the uh, the USC lot this week that we don't already know. The Spencer Rattler's already sounding off for the Gamecocks. I think they're going to be in the news quite a lot. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. But I didn't include it's a big Georgia. week for cleansing. Yeah, big week for cleansing. Mm, that Georgia Tech game stunk yeah. last year. I think it was what fourteen eight, fourteen eight to Clemson, and it was just like that was one of the worst games I've ever seen. Neither offense did anything in that game, and I was just like, you need right. to see DJ Ungalele and Will Shipley. Mm. The season has got to start fast. The offense last year was the problem in nearly every game of the season. Yeah, the defense has lost key parts. Spectre's gone. Skolski's gone. Andrew Booth is gone. Mario Goodrich is gone. How do you can they replace them? The offense mm. last year was garbage. Justin yeah. Ross has gone. Like say, Clemson, this is I don't know. You'll either get they'll either make the playoffs or they'll struggle to win the ACC. I just don't see anything in the middle. Mm. Well, Are they going to come back to dominance? Yeah, I mean we didn't discuss really. We've not really discussed the preseason rankings at all because they really don't mean anything. But I don't get how Clemson were third on them. It's like, what last year get, you know, gave you an indication that you can put them third this year in the power rankings? They, they did literally nothing to justify getting a third in the rankings this year. I just think it's name brand only. It's, it's just not looking at the team at all. So if you even take a slight look at this team, it ain't third best in the country by a long shot, is it? No. Like I said, they've lost tons of talent. That's the Davos winning effect as well. Taking into account as well that they'll say a lot of the ACC has got weaker. Like I say, a lot of the ACC has lost tons of talent. But that don't mean they're actually going to win it. Like I say, I was very disappointed in last year. I want to see them come in and I want to see them sweep the ACC this year. I want, to pro- I want them to prove to me that they're still the big dog in that conference. Mm. And I do not think they are. Nope, not at all. It's going to be a very competitive division this year, but um, yeah, I don't think they're worth all that hype at all. But it's interesting to see. They need to put more than 14 points down on Georgia Tech this year because they're not exactly gold standard when it comes to opposition. I don't think they're that much better this year. So. Georgia Tech has lost Jameer Gibbs. 
Yeah. You've literally got you've literally got Jet Sims, the quarterback that's a dual threat. It's still an option offense. Yeah. I want to see Clemson shut them down completely and mm. blow them away by halftime. Mm. They need to they need to make a statement. Yeah. And speaking of Jameer Gibbs, I want to see him put down two hundred yards this week on Utah State. I, I really want him to do well this year. Just you know. I think he's gonna be a great running back. I think he's gonna go high in next draft. So interesting to see how he does. Um Arizona State. Is that Central Arizona this week? Uh I think or is it Northern a- Arizona. Northern Arizona, yeah, and IU. No, no danger of an upset there this week. We don't need to focus on them too much this week, do we? No, it should be a cakewalk. I think we played them last year as well and blew them out. I think we played a week one last year as well. Mm. I'm pretty sure we won comfortably. But no, I've got a very uncomfortable feeling this year. I think this is the year Arizona beats Arizona State. And they've not beaten us in over 2,000 days. (laughs) I think our rain will come in this year because... I just don't like how we look. On or off the field, just get rid of Herm Edwards. I just want everyone fired and just start from scratch. Double the length of how long it's been since Ohio State beat Michigan. That's just rolled over a thousand days, I believe, as well. And I know Ohio State will want that to change. And of course, I've adopted North Carolina State and Devin Healy this year. They start at East Carolina and they're going to absolutely whip them this year on the way to the, uh, uh, little, to the Atlantic. They're going to win it this year, absolutely. And I stand by that. Uh, right, uh, anything else you want to get off your chest this week? Or should we get out of here? I think we're nope, like you say, I have, I have basically finished my pre-all season uh, two. We'll do it next I've week. just got the O-line, yeah. The O-line is really hard. Because yeah. I don't know any men. I don't know many O-linemen. But no, I've gone with some household names. And then I've gone with some... A lot of people, maybe people have never heard of. I've got some freshmen in mind, so yeah, you will. Um, like I said, those, like Ryan mentioned there, they will be our all power five sleeper sides that we're going to put out. I was going to do it this week, but we've been going two hours already and I couldn't fit it in. So we will fit it in very soon just to let you know about some of these guys. Some of them will have played one week by the time we get to it, but hey ho. You still might not have heard of a lot of them. So, yeah, that is everything for this week. Thank you for joining us, as always, on Twitch and on YouTube. It's been great. Week zero is in the bag. Week one is previewed. We will be back next week. Obviously, we'll take a look at our pick watch league from this week, discuss some of the more interesting results, and then we'll take a look at week two, and we'll probably get these sleeper teams out there as well, and it's been good fun doing these. Um, Just got to do all the housekeeping before we go, so in terms of the podcasts, the next Roar of the Lions UK Detroit Lions podcast will be back on Monday the 5th of September. We will be doing a reaction to the Detroit Lions 53-man roster and also to Hard Knocks episode 4, which we've not had a chance to see yet because we're over here in the UK and stupid Sky and Game Pass don't put it out until Thursday. And then we'll be back on the College Podcast next week, probably on the Wednesday, but we'll keep you updated. Like I say, we'll be doing the Week 1 review, the Week 2 preview, and our all-sleeper teams in the Power 5 for this season. going to be a lot of good fun. Um just remains for me to thank Ryan for this evening and to Hank. He's given us a good showing this evening. You can find us all over the internet, Roar of the Lines UK, as I say, on YouTube, Roar of the Lines UK, Twitch, 
ROTL underscore UK if you don't follow us on both already if you could that would be wonderful we're up to 527 on YouTube thanks to everybody who has done that we're gonna make the push to a thousand now which means the content will get more the content will get better we will earn those likes there if you and on Twitch as well if you haven't already followed us on there then that would be great if you could we had a new follow the other day shout out midnight to find you he followed us on twitter on twitch a couple of days back thank you very much for that appreciate it all on facebook you can find us on our page roar of the lions uk the group detroit lions fans uk one pride worldwide on twitter and instagram you can find us at rotl underscore uk and on our website you can find www.roaroftheliondsuk.com you'll find lots of articles about the detroit lions going into a season and our own matthew turner is about to drop a, actually a college related post about uh, quarterbacks in the college game this season and i've made him amend it to include KJ Jefferson so you know these are mostly impartial pieces for the most part but yeah a lot of good stuff you can find on there but that is everything for today thank you ever so much thank you Ryan thank you Hank and until next time one pride one pride <laughs>